Coco Talk would like to thank the patrons who sponsor our show. So our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Al Hartman, Alan Huffman, Blair Ledoux, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, D. Bruce Moore, Davey Mitchell, Diego, Patrick Randolph, Dinty, Disney Saints fan, Eric Canales, Fedor Stamen, Frodo NL, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Bucata, Jason Downs, Ken Riker, Kyle Etter, Malfunk, Michael Pitsley, Rick Eulin, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Richard Lorbieski, Jenna Ferrin, Rob Inman, Alan Murphy, Stephen Wagner, Terry Steen, The Backyard Shed Gang, Terry Steggy, Tom C., Tom S., Tim Lindner, and Tony C. Thank you ever so much, patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off-color comments were made, we're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Leader, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. This is Coco Talk the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calore computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Coco Talk, episode 183. And like most of the members on our panel, this episode belongs in a museum. Coco Talk is rocking the eight-bit world, keeping the tiny flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the eight-bit world. all right good afternoon everybody we are back including clickety keyboard sounds for your listening pleasure the podcast listeners are going to really enjoy listening to those click clackety clickety clacks we're here coca talk episode 183 we've got a wonderful panel from 1984 and max headroom we've got david o'connor inside a crt good day david hello everybody i'm stuck in here i can't get out you're all stuck with me. All right. And the pleasure is all ours. Welcome, David. We've got recently married, still with his cat, our resident Apple guy, Mr. Mark Overholzer. I got my eyes on you, Mark. How you doing? Yeah, me too. Thank you. Glad to be here, as uh, always. All right. All right. All right. We got a guy who likes to say things like, Thank you. Yes, you're too kind. And thank you. Legendary game designer, Mr. Rick Adams, is here with us today. Hello, Rick. Hello there, glad to be here. We've got a guy who's got a garage. His name is Ron. Everybody say hi to Ron Delvo. Hello. 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 Glad to be here. Should be in the museum. (laughs) Ron's neighbor. 
Ron's neighbor in Arizona, a guy who likes to use lots of wires. Mr. Paul oh. T. Barton is with us this afternoon. Hello, Paul. Hey. He knows the way to San Jose. He's a big fan of the snoozy newsy. Say hello to Michael Furman. It's Mikey, everybody. Hey, everybody. <laughs> hey, Mikey. <laughs> All right. See ya. A guy whose name is so nice, we must say it thrice. It is none other than... How you doing, Nick? Good day, everybody. Glad to be here. It is great having you. This guy here is noticed for saying things like the famous catchphrase. You want to grab some food before we head back and look at that alt-reality OS9 module? Everybody, it's <laughs> yeah. L. Curtis Boyle. How you doing? Hello, everyone. I'm kind of feeling left out with no visor here. Ah. <laughs> and a guy who we like to say. Bless your heart. It is now the Mr. Vice President of the Glenside <laughs> Color Computer Club, Terry Steggy, is with us. Hello, Terry. Congrats, Teg. Yay! <laughs> Former lead singer to the rock band ZZ Top, Rick Eulens with us. <laughs> Howdy, folks. And don't feel bad, Curtis. I don't even have bangs. <laughs> <laughs> Our resident backup streamer and engineer, all-around nice guy and great dresser, Mark Bosley's with us. Hello. Hello, Mark. Alan Murphy's Hello. in the house. How you doing, Alan? Howdy, howdy. Doing all right. Hope everyone else is, too. All right. A guy who's best known for saying... Stop right there. Jason, the Coco Man Riker's with us. Howdy, howdy. And I see you've got your soundboard working, so I'm sure you're going to enjoy that. <laughs> I'm so excited about my soundboard. <laughs> yes. And Brian, the music man, Shoebring, is with us. Hello, Brian Shoebring. Hello, hello, hello. No froggies today. All right. A guy who loves trash cans, he loves Nitrous 9, and he loves to say... Oh, Rocky! From down under, the thunder, Nicholas Morantes. Good eye, Nick. Uh, I think I took a wrong turn. So, where am I? Oh, I didn't mean to come here. We're <laughs> <laughs> in the museum. Uh -huh. Oh, it's a man. The seventh level of hell or something like that. Yeah, that maze. <laughs> I will be closely, closely watching the show today through my Mark Overholzer visors <laughs> to make sure everything is up to spec and within <laughs> tolerable standards and thresholds. Uh, speaking of standards and practices, yes, I am your host with the least, Stevie Stroh. We have got a great show for you for once. And without yeah, any right. further ado, so why are we calling this episode It Belongs in a Museum? Because we have unearthed the Ark of the Covenant, the archaeological mm -hmm. find of the 20th century, now uh, unearthed and shared with us on the 21st century. But you've heard this person on this YouTube channel in the past. Rick Adams was our first celebrity interview that we ever had, and we've heard stories about Temple of Rom and, and some of the anecdotes about that. We've heard stories about the game Bomb Threat that was lost in the sands of time, but unearthed on a VHS tape, and we've heard stories, if only I could have found this, or if only I could have found that. Well, guess what? Our Professor Jones, Indiana Adams, has done it. He has found some things... And um, we're going to talk about that. So, Rick Adams, um, you can do the talking. I'll do the showing. I've got your images of right. your different things. So I don't know where you want to begin, but you start talking and tell me what slide to pull up when the okay. time is right. Well, um, I'm 
just going to start go, going real quick through my notes. Uh, uh, basically, okay, I, I need to set this up. Uh, this all started when uh, our furnace went out, and we were freezing our patooties off in here. And we had somebody coming that was going to install a new furnace. That cost me a pretty penny, but we, well, we don't have time to talk about that now. Uh, and so uh, I wanted to make sure that the guys that installed the furnace didn't get mad at us. So I went down in the basement, and all around the furnace are stacks and stacks of old storage bins uh, that have been there since we moved in. And so I hauled all of those out of there. And at the very, very back, uh, all the way down low on the floor was uh, a little box. And I saw it and I said, oh, what is this? It's got like some yellowed pieces of paper in it. I'll bet you this is old financial records. You know, this is probably from 28 years ago. We don't need, you know, financial records going back that far. So we're just going to throw this out. So I hauled it out and I opened it up. And there were some uh, copies of the newspaper that I wrote for when I was a reporter working my way through college. And I said, well, I guess maybe we'll keep that. Uh, and then under that were a bunch of file folders labeled Temple of Rom, Bomb Threat, Shanghai, Omnistar, and The Last Ninja. And I said, oh, really? So I started opening them up, and I made notes of what I found in all of those. So I'm just going to go through that. Temple of Rom folder. I'm going to go through them in order of when I developed them. So Temple of Rom is my first game. Uh, I've got correspondence between Tandy and myself. I've got sales data for the game. Uh, something, something north of 32,000 Temple of Rom cartridges were sold, by the way. Uh, I've got a copy of my contract, development notes from the game, including the original non-space-themed instruction manual. Uh, that would be like page one through page six there, Steve. Uh, and so that was fun to read. I've got the original nine pieces of graph paper that I, uh, uh, inscribed out the, uh, the map to the, you know, the maze for the game. Uh, and then, you know, all kinds of hex numbers written all over it as I transcribed them into data. Uh, I've got, uh, uh, graph paper with, uh, where I de designed the font for the game. And I've got a program listing, although don't get too excited because the program listing is just for about one third of the game. And it's from an early version of the game, but it's still of, of interest. Um, so I'm going to talk about some uh, trivia that I found out looking through this, uh, the stuff that I had forgotten. Uh, the original game had uh, only one enemy. It just had the spiders. It didn't have the fireballs. And not all the rooms had treasures. Some had two. Uh, now it's one per room, and the location is based on the room data. Uh, you know, I, I used to have separate data for where all the treasures were, and now they're just algorithmically generated from the dimensions of the room. Uh, there's like one. There'll be like one treasure per room, uh, one third down from the top of the room, and one third over from the left. Uh, the magical properties of the crown and the crystal ball have changed since the original version. Uh, Tandy had me change those. Uh, the crown would speed up your cursor movement by 25%, and the crystal ball enabled a uh, uh, early warning system for the bat when the bat was going to show up. 
and the original cursor was a white square instead of that little flailing man. And uh, I had noticed that uh, there are video mode keys for the game. If you hit like clear or enter or shift, it'll shift video modes. And I wondered who had added that because I totally didn't remember that at all. But I found notes from uh, a phone call with Tandy where they asked me to add that. So I must have added that. Uh, and then the names of the, of the treasures moved around a bit. Originally, the little cross thing treasure was a precious ruby, and they changed it to a jade cross uh, when they, you know, when they kicked me out of, of uh, you know, Fantasyland and put, put the whole uh, game into space. <laughs> so that's the end of my notes on Temple of Rom. Does anybody have any questions at this point? Yes. Well, was this your first game that you submitted? Yeah. Uh-huh. Very first one. So you must have yep. felt like you were on cloud nine when you got accepted. Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I've got, um, uh, when I got the call from uh, uh, Mark Siegel saying that they had accepted the game, that they were going to buy it, uh, I had, took, took my little calendar that I, I was at work when I got the call, and on my the leaf of my calendar for that day, I wrote down, Radio Shack wants my game! Exclamation mark, exclamation mark. So, so you, put, you put the order in for the car the next day? <laughs> no, it wasn't the next day. <laughs> oh, uh, There's the sales, sales for Temple of Rom. Uh, that spike in January uh, is for when they sent out cartridges of the game, like two copies for every Radio Shack store. So that sucked up a lot right there. And then at the end of, the, of that graph was uh, a spike for, uh, you know, getting ready for Christmas. And I've got sales figures for like three or four years. And there was always a spike around November when people would start buying uh, uh, gifts for people. And a lot, uh, a spike in January when people who had just gotten their new color computer would go out and want to buy some games for it. Hey, Rick. Yeah. Mr. Dave is asking, how old were you when you wrote Temple of Rom? Oh, my goodness. Well, that was like 1982 or so, and I'm 70 today, so you do the math. I'm not going to do the math. Um, so I was older. You know, I wasn't a teenager, but... Uh, Say 32? You know, that, that sounds about right. Uh, uh, 1980 was 40 years ago, so... You know, yeah. Subtract 40, okay. add two. So as and you get brain cells, is that like a Celsius to Fahrenheit conversion type thing there too? This uh, mm. no, it's just double just and math. add two. No, okay. I I do have one question, Rick. Uh, now, would you ever consider doing a uh, a customized version of this game for Mister Delvo and call it Temple of Ron? <laughs> you have to trek through his garage and avoid the uh, rattlesnakes and the scorpions. Well, the, uh, the extension the of the game that I wrote, the Temple of Rom 2, uh, actually has a way online. It's a little tricky to figure out, but you, I think you probably figure it out. There's an online uh, level eight, level generator for it, so you could do your own maze. So mm -hmm. that's kind of nice. But you can't customize you know, Temple of Rom to Temple of Ron. So. Okay. Uh, I have a quick question for you too, Rick. Um, yeah. The uh, changes that Tandy requested, did they send that by a letter or is that just phone calls or how did that work? Phone calls. Okay. So you had to yeah. take your own notes and everything from a phone call. Yeah. Uh, you know, so they, 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 they had like a, a bunch of guys testing it 
And so they'd test it and then they'd get, make their suggestions to Tandy and then Tandy would call me up and, and tell me, the testers hate the bat. The bat's coming too fast, so I had to slow it down. So as much as you hate it now, it used to be worse. <laughs> <laughs> so were these testers about 66 years old or so? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I would guess they're probably in their 30s. Uh, that's just totally a guess. Though. Slow it down. <laughs> Slow it down. Yes, indeed. So uh, the, the, the nice thing about having the program listing, even though it's you know just a third of the game, is that uh, the only source that I have right now is a disassembly that William Mastel did. And so uh, this way I can read the program listing that I have now and find out what were the original names of all the labels for at least you know a third of the game. So that's kind of fun to figure out. Uh, one thing I wanna look at, somebody, I don't remember who, is sort of a super expert on four voice uh, music routines. And he can sort of trace the etymology of where they all came from and various versions that went, you know, they got published in various magazines. Uh, Dale and I got that routine from some magazine, uh, and it's the same routine that was used for the four-voiced music in uh, Color Baseball. So I just took it from Dale, took his source from Color Baseball, and then just gussied it up a little bit, made it a little bit shorter, I think, uh, and then used it in Temple of Rome. So uh, well, I, got, I music, got a question. So the music routines in uh, the music routines in the listing are, are in the listing. So I can see what the labels are and that will help him figure out where it came from. Okay, go ahead. So when you shorten up the music, it, it repeats though, right? Uh, you have to make it repeat right at the right time or? No, no. How does no. that work? Uh, well, there's two, two tones, the two uh, songs and there's just the, the happy starting the game music, you know, da 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 and there's like all those notes, there's you know data for all of those. And it doesn't repeat at all. Um, so- You got the uh, funeral march too, when you die. Yep. Chopin's funeral march. Yep. So the notes table, I notice, uh, I saw a the original routine in a magazine article and uh, it had the full notes table. Mine was cut down. There's like a uh, uh, an octave at the end that I don't have because I never used it. And you wanted to save space wherever you could. So I just left that out. There's a lot of things I did. Oh, so you just space. trimmed out some data from the table so you could save the memory end, yeah. space. Yeah. Yep. So you didn't necessarily trim the length of the music. You just trimmed the routine nope. to not have to account for notes you weren't going to play. Right. And gotcha. each note was... Uh, you know, four values, one va one value for the pitch of each of the four voices and uh, duration. And it, it was all in a table. And then you went to the end, the end marker was, you had uh, notes with a duration of zero. And that was, would, would tell you it was the end. Hey Rick? Yeah. We have a question from the chat room. Uh, had you done any sure. other assembler programming before doing Coco stuff? Uh, yeah, actually at work I did assembler. Uh, actually, um, that's not true that, okay. That's not true. Uh, 
my doing Temple of Ram actually got me uh, transferred at work uh, into a, uh, a job that required doing assembler in 68030 uh, code. Well, so you did. Uh, so you told them about you told them about it at work. Yeah. Well, Dale told them. Dale oh, was cool. in the systems department, working oh. on the operating system. Okay. And so I w always wanted to get into the systems department and work on the operating system too. And Dale told them, you know, when when, when we were going to convert over from uh, their OS was going to go from a, a, a data general Nova machine to a Unix machine that ran uh, Motorola sixty eight oh thirty. Uh, he says, well, Rick knows Motorola 6809. Oh, nice. Said, oh, does he now? Ooh, we should talk to him. So that's how I got a transfer into the job of my dreams, basically. So that was cool. And was Dale part of the reason you submitted a game to uh, for the Coco? He had a lot to do with it, yeah. Because he had already submitted uh, Double Back and had it accepted. And so I, you know... I said, I want to try to do a game too. And so when I finished Temple of Rum, uh, him and I kibitzed a lot on exactly how to write the cover letter and how to package it up and what sorts of things to tell them that they would be interested in that would make them want to buy the game. You had and, a mentor. Uh, nice. Yes, exactly right. Um, so I sent it off and, and uh, I didn't know until I saw this file uh, they sent me something that said, thank you very much for submitting your game. Uh, we will get back to you within 30 days. Uh, and then I waited breathlessly by the phone at work, you know, oh, please ring phone, please ring. And lo and behold, it was Mark Siegel. And he says, yep, we want to buy it. It's a beautiful game, he said. And I said, oh, nice. yes, I, I love the sound of that. <laughs> so, Rick, unfortunately, we're showing an old address of yours. Hopefully, this is not a problem, right? You no longer reside uh, at... That uh... property has, has changed hands. <laughs> several, that, yeah, that you know, phone number and that address have you know, okay. changed hands several times since then. Because so this could be used in identity not, theft. So. <laughs> it will not gain you anything. I didn't realize you lived in Petaluma there. You're just down from where Twitter eventually ended up being. Uh, just down from where? Twit, the... Uh, Podcast Network? We oh, yes. Podcast okay. yeah. yeah. This was submitted yep. the day before my birthday. My birthday is May 24th. So on May 23rd is when you submitted this to Tandy. Dear Sirs. Uh, in case there was more than one sirs. sir there. Yes. Yes. Typed on an actual typewriter. Yeah. Ooh. Unbelievable. Huh. Yeah. We wouldn't do that anymore. Manual yeah, or electric? Uh, manual. That looks like, an, looks like an Underwood type font. Yep. It, it definitely is. My dad um, had a 1940s Underwood look just now, like Now, fun that. little story. Pretty soon I started getting royalty checks in and, you know, since it sold a lot, uh, they were kind of sizable. The first one that I got was, you know, from the quarter where they stocked up all the stores. So it was pretty darn hefty. And before I got the check in the mail, I got a letter from the IRS saying, we hear you're about to get a lot of money. We would like <laughs> our cut of that money. It's like, uh. dude, I don't even have the check yet. What, what do you expect me to do? Well, what you're expected to do is you file taxes in advance. There's like, they have a form for that based on estimated earnings for the next quarter. And that's what I did for all the other checks. But for the oh, first yeah. one, I had no clue that this was coming down the pike. So, you know, I had to pay, I had, I, I owed penalties on the check before I even got it in the mail. Wow. wow. Uncle Sugar oh, is yeah. thirsty, yo. 
That is our government hard at work. Yes, indeed. <laughs> wow. A bloody so vampire. Like so I'd like to move on yeah. to the other folders, uh, and we can come back you know, yeah. if you want. Yeah, no, that's fine. Uh, so next is bomb threat, and there's not much in there at all. There's just uh, receipts from buying some equipment. Like I bought my first uh, disk drive, my fl first floppy disk drive, uh, with the uh, the gains from Temple of Ram. So, uh, and so the receipts were just kept in case you know I sold Bomb Threat, and then they would you know they would go in on my taxes as expenses for developing the game and all that sort of stuff. So that didn't happen. So nothing in there. Uh, Shanghai. Did you uh, find source code for Bomb Threat? No, I did not. That's all I found was just a okay. couple of, like about seven receipts, and that's it. Not um, even re a rejection notice or anything? No. <laughs> I didn't get any of the, they, they didn't give me the, uh, you know, I, they didn't formalize it that much. It was just no. <laughs> Pass. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't happen to uh, didn't happen to find the sheet music to uh, Joy to the World in there, weren't you, Chase? Did you? <laughs> <laughs> so in Shanghai, uh, I have a bunch of con correspondence between uh, Activision and myself, uh, all about uh, the schedule for the game and milestone payments and the contract and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I, got, I I was just adding it up. I got like all told, I got about fourteen thousand dollars for Shanghai. Not bad. Uh, I've got uh, tile uh, diagrams for the tiles and how to fill, you know, do the how to draw the tiles uh, on graph paper, and then they sent me a magazine review of the uh, uh, some other version of the game, and that's about all I have for that, which is you know kind of interesting. Uh, I have one of your floppies of for source code that you had auctioned off a few years ago. Yep. Oh yeah, I remember. Yeah. Uh, this, this treasure trove, I could, you know, auction off a lot of this stuff. I yeah. don't know. I have to think about that. Now, Shanghai, you were no longer on royalties, right? Like your payment right. system with Tandy changed? Yeah. Well, with Tandy, it was, you know, royalties. But with Activision, it was always lump sum payments. And it was always, you know, when you sign the contract, you get, you know, so many thousands of dollars. When you get it, the game to this stage... Uh, and we accept it at that stage, then you get these other, some more thousands of dollars and, and so on until the end. And then there was a early completion bonus, which in the case of Shanghai, uh, I did get because I, I finished it early. So there wasn't any bonuses like if it sold past to so many units like a... Nope. No? So no matter uh, how much it sold, you wouldn't assign any extra. Right. Sad but true. Uh, but that's okay. Uh so uh, let's see, Omnistar, there's quite a lot on that. Uh, I had actually, from reading that, I learned quite a bit. Uh, the game uh, was sort of half planned out. I had sort of a proof of concept of the game that ran. I have, uh, let's see, in there was development notes, a diagram of the network of Omnistar, which was much more elaborate than the one that I finally went with when I did it from just like mem from memory. Uh, and let's see. No, wait a minute. Wait, let's see. Omnistar, development notes, network diagram. Oh, uh, a diagram of the font that I came up with, which was a five by seven font, which was a real cool OCR looking font. So it was like all computery. Uh, 
And then uh, the key click sound was like this cool DTMF sound uh, that was different for each key. Mm. So it was really super, uh, you know, high tech sounding. Uh, and the game was much, much more elaborate than the one that I finally came up with. Uh, and then we have The Last Ninja. We have my contract, which contains the development schedule, which is like a four-month timeline. And that's all I said about that. <laughs> <laughs> were, were there any other charred pieces of paper that you burned after the whole thing went down? <laughs> there may be tonight, if I, you know, after this, uh, after this broadcast. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't know. Uh, people were shocked at uh, Coca Fest when somebody asked me, what would you do if you found... The, the disc that had uh, the last ninja on it. And I said, I would burn it. And they were very shocked. <laughs> <laughs> and they protested mightily. And so I, I amended that to, oh, all right. I'll send it to somebody who can make a copy. And then they can send it back to me. And then I'll and, burn, and then then I'll I'll burn, burn it. it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. well, archive, then burn. <laughs> yep. So that's... That's basically all that I found, and it's going to keep me busy for a while. Uh, Omnistar is really wild because, you know, the ideas were kind of half fleshed out. And so there was lots of, shall I try this? Shall I try that? Shall I try the other thing? And a lot of ideas. And they're really interesting to read through. And notes that you did, you know, 28 years ago are kind of, you know, not all that. They're kind of cryptic. So I'm trying to figure out where was my head at back then? What did I mean when I said that? So, and did so you have any coding done on, on Omnistar back then? I did. Like even some concept stuff? or uh, Yeah, it's, it's basically concept stuff. It's proof of concept. Uh, I have a listing for it, which is 42 pages long with, with 67 lines per page. And William Astle has volunteered to type that in. I may take him up on that offer. I would have to uh, send. I'm sure you could OCR scan it and then just have the, the scanner program. Make I, the text yeah, well, in. I have no idea how you do that. So okay. uh, and I'm, I'm hoping he doesn't problem, have to type in the whole darn thing. <laughs> yeah, well, he says he's going to do that. And well, uh, wow, uh, I would not have the patience for that. Uh, <laughs> but he thinks that he does. And so that sounds wonderful to me. Well, that's uh, retro, like the old Rainbow Magazine listings. You can just type right. it in. Yeah. I, I don't remember too many 42-page-long programs in Rainbow, though. <laughs> <laughs> and it's nice because you know, it has all the, the comments, and it's, it's very nice. Uh, same thing with the listing for Temple of Rome. Uh, I can read the comments. I was like, oh, that's what I was up to there. Oh, okay. Uh, the only problem with the Omnistar listing is that it was done on a dot matrix printer with form feed paper and the tractor feed slipped up at a couple of spots, like two or three spots. All of a sudden there's like 40 lines on one line, <laughs> you know? Uh. So uh, a lot of those are in sections of the code where, oh, I know what I was doing right there. I could reproduce, I could reconstruct what's in there if I, if I really wanted to. Uh, a couple of places were like that. I'm not sure all of the places were like that. So, uh, so that's what's going on with that. So, and Shanghai, uh, it looks like the contract, uh, according to the contract details, it looked like it took me like about two, maybe three months to do Shanghai. So these are all details that I did not know uh, or knew once and completely forgot.
So, so for Shanghai, okay. I know you you had a preferred color scheme using the ivory style tiles rather than the ones they actually picked. Was there any mm -hmm. correspondence, or was that another phone call? Like, did Ch did Activision work that the same way? Tandy call. just phone you? Okay. Yeah. Well, actually, there was no phone call for putting in the old. Well, the phone call was uh, change it. Like at the last second, they wanted it changed from that color set to another color set, and so. I put in, you know, an Easter egg with the original color set and did not tell them about that at all. So there was no, there was no conversation on that. So I just sort of did that. And that's why it's like a one pixel spot that you have to hit with the cursor because I was death, deathly afraid they were going to find it. So I didn't want that to happen and get in trouble. I remember when Bill Noble was disassembling it to make the Nitrous 9 OS 9 version of it there, he was going, what the heck is this code for? I, there's nothing there to click on. What are you doing? And then we went and clicked on it. Oh, wait a sec, the colors all changed. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Because he didn't even know that it was there. Nope. Yeah. And then we talked to you about it back then. This would have been the 90s. And then you, yes. you, you said about it. So then he puts in on the, on the OS 9 version, actually says alternate tile set and puts a little box for you so you can see where to click. Right. And then Alan changed it, I think, and changed it a little bit more afterwards when he redid it. But Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Now, didn't we recently discover from some of your discs where you had the data for the dragon, where if you finished the game, it would yes. draw up the dragon, and that couldn't fit into the cartridge because they couldn't compress the data? Now, is right. that is that kind of victory image now in the current build that's out there? Are we able to see that in the game, or is it just a no. picture that was posted? It's um, just a picture that's posted. I know Bill's been talking about once he gets you know caught up on some other Nitrous 9 stuff, he's going to try to put that back in, the full version. I believed that the full picture, the data for the full picture before I had to cut it down to a postage stamp is in there. And it's yeah, in it's definitely MGE in the format. discs that you gave out with the Shanghai source because Bill and I both have copies of that, and it's definitely right. the full version's on there. Yeah, and I have uh, all the data that's on the discs. Uh, I have them online somewhere. I don't remember right now exactly where, but I've got them. So even if you don't happen to have the discs, uh, you can still access the data. That would be interesting to see a version that represents the initial vision of the whole thing where you have that kind of victory screen if you if you beat the game, you know? Yeah. And you could do that now. Yep. Bill, Bill is planning on doing it. I will mention that. Excellent. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I remember you guys contacting me. It's like, okay, uh, let's tell you. Uh, let me tell you what something we did. Is this okay with you? And it's like, oh yeah, it's okay. Yeah, and then once you said that, it was like, and why? Why is this little click thing here? The different colors. Uh, uh... <laughs> Easier to ask forgiveness and permission, right? I was. Oh yeah. So I was really <laughs> happy to find the original instruction manual because I told everybody about that for years. Yeah. It was originally, like a fantasy type. Yeah. Uh, scenario i'll go through and look at the thing. yeah and this these are all on facebook too right you posted yep. these on facebook and i think and you we posted the link and i've got them but yeah and we could if you wanted to post them in discord you, like under the temple of rom 2 channel it'd be kind of cool maybe yeah. to post that in discord but it would be neat to get uh, uh an updated pdf document with the original story and instructions mm -hmm. and maybe to, new artwork to match to uh distribute with temple <laughs> of rom 2 you know that would be kind of cool uh -huh. Cool. So, lots to do. Yeah. One thing I found interesting that you mentioned today that I had not heard before is that you found in your original notes that the player character was originally a square, which is based on the adventure Atari yeah. oh, yes. game by Warner Absolutely. Robinette, because that was what it was based on. So, I didn't know that the original Coco version actually had that, too, and that was one yeah. of the complaints Dandy had. 
Yes. That was one thing that they insisted on changing. The other thing that was kind of interesting is they said, uh, oh, and we got to change the name too. I hate the name. I said, you know, and so my attitude was, hey, you know, you're going to pay me all these thousands of dollars. You can change the name to whatever the bleep you want. Right. Uh, and so they said, yeah, we got to change it. I said, okay, you think of something, let me know. I'll put it in. They never <laughs> got back to me. So <laughs> Temple of Ram, it stayed. And I was kind of... Sh- I was kind of coy and shy about, uh, you know, the inside joke of it for a long time. You know, Temple of Rom, it, it sounds kind of, you know, uh, medieval, but really we all know it's, you know, the Rom is the Rom that's in the cartridge. Um, and then lately, you know, I got more bold about it. Now when I write out Temple of Rom, it's always Temple of Rom and Rom is an acronym, so it's all in uppercase. So, you know, I'm not... Not even trying to hide it anymore. Everybody knows. Hey, Rick, I've been always wanting to show you this. I got this about a year or two back. Um, it's actual production run cartridges. Uh, oh, right. That's right. I so they've got two different versions, I guess, and then all the oh. check, uh, paperwork, and then there's, I guess, a first copy of the Ooh, the book. Cool. Sometime when I see it, like Coco Fest, I would love to get you to sign maybe those. I think that'd be kind of. Oh, I absolutely (laughs) would. You know, it would be fun if the production notes have, if they have sales figures, compare the sales figures they have with the ones that I have. (laughs) Wouldn't that be fun? Well, they do have the production numbers on there because I remember when Terry posted those up there because they'd have the, you know, at what date they ordered so many cartridges. Right. Yeah, well, that'd be fun to do a little comparing there. Was a hundred, and then in nine nineteen of eighty eight, they ordered seventeen hundred. Uh huh. So that's what all are, these showed, anyways. What was yeah, that last one? Kind of cool. The seventeen hundred was what date? Um, nine nineteen of eighty eight. Okay. And then I'll the check. first lot was six twenty three of eighty eight. Was a lot of a hundred. Okay. I'll compare that with my notes. They may not match up, and that may not actually mean that they were cheating me. No. Uh, because think... that's when they make them versus when they distribute them to the stores. Yeah. So there's going to be some difference there. So that's, yeah. but that's definitely, uh, that's definitely interesting. I'll, I'll want to be tracking my eyeballs all over that at a, at a Coca Fest. That's for sure. All right. There. I'll give you one of the, uh, one of these. How's that sound? Oh, that that sounds awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> that is cool. Now it's been really interesting to hear all these stories, Rick. Uh, for all these years, you've been joining us on all these, you know, video broadcasts that we've been doing. So we've heard um, we've heard a lot of stories, and there's always been what we hear, what we know, what you remember, and then what you wish you still had. And then as time goes on, more and more of those wishes are coming true. So that's really cool to see and yeah. kind of be with you when this happens to kind of share that that mm-hmm. that victory. You know, it is really cool. I still have hopes of finding the original uh, discs for Bomb Threat. Uh, if I don't find them, I'll live. But uh, But it would be nice. Yeah. So we'll see. And the fact you found this, I mean, at this late stage of the game is kind of, uh, you know, That's a, pretty cool. a positive towards the that. Box so. was, uh, the box was the far back behind a whole bunch of other boxes, and it was the bottommost one 
and it had 26 years worth of dust on it, just absolutely filthy, just like it was beyond dust bunnies. It was like ribbons of dust just falling off of it as I lifted it. It was a luxurious dust blanket or comforter. (laughs) So if we came over and knocked out your water heater, might you find something else? (laughs) I was just going to say something like that. We're just waiting for the next major appliance failure at the Adams household and see what else we can find. Meanwhile, under the dishwasher. Right. Well, there's a lot of other bins in that room, uh, and I may be looking in them soon, but I suspect that they are all stuff that I know what it is and it's not anything like this so we'll see I'm curious now so I'm gonna I'll probably be peeking in some of those a lot of them have like you know clothes and and uh, old toys uh, school papers from when the kids were in school stuff like that so lots of all that stuff so we'll see We've had somebody in the live chat express their concern that David O'Connor is trapped inside a CRT. David, are you okay? Can you breathe? Are you all right? I'm just uh, trying to claw my way out of this thing. Right, so I'm sort of stuck. Are you there? there? Can you hear me? Do, do we yeah, need to Dave, send I'm, a... I'm, 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 knock, 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 knock. <laughs> Dave's not here, man. <laughs> Reminds me of a Doctor Who episode. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so if you need yeah. any, uh, if you need some oxygen tanks or supplies, you know, food, water, porta potties, anything like that, you let us know, okay? So uh, yeah, I'll uh, yeah, I'll see if you can get me out of this matrix too. I'm sort of stuck in here. I, I need a phone line into here to get out. If you need so. to be degauzed, let us know. Yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> so shall we move on to the next segment? Wait, sir, are you finished, sir? I'm pretty much finished. Yeah. Well, thank you. Is there any other questions from the panel or the chat? Yeah, yeah. Rick. Before we go on. And thanks for sharing that. That's really cool. Yeah, that is cool. That is super stuff. cool. Oh, yeah. I was absolutely ecstatic. There's right, a well, suggestion that uh, David's in the Twilight Zone. It could be. <laughs> yeah. well, you I'm right always show. in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> Q, right. golden earring. Well, if, if more questions come in or comments, whatever, we can address them as they come in. Uh, Dave, and, Dave and Sharon are saying thank you. Thank you, Mr. Dave. And so why Thanks for keeping up with our community too, Rick. It's yes. Really cool. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And um full screen. I'm screwing up my zoom here. Okay. So the next thing we're gonna move on to now is our now vice president. Congratulations on winning. I don't know if actually I'm not sure if it's a victory, but you <laughs> <laughs> the good news is you won. The bad news is you won. Right. So <laughs> when, when does his term start? Yes. Are, are you are you vice president elect or you know when does the term officially start? You know honestly I haven't heard. I was thinking next meeting, but Jim President brain there was saying that uh, Eric had told him now so I'm not quite sure. We don't know. (laughs) So uh, congratulations on winning the election of the vice president of the Glenside Color Computer Club. I watched those debates. I realized the second round of debates we did have to implement the mute feature because some of you guys were getting (laughs) out of control. Uh, Glenside debates can get pretty heated sometimes. So um, my favorite part is when the, the killer hornet landed on your head, the murder <laughs> hornet. Um, yeah, I had a full head of hair before that. Yeah. 
So we missed you a few weeks ago. You were going to update us to something that we were covering on Facebook. You had posted some pictures of a custom Darth Vader build, Coco 3, that you had been working on. And so we want to go ahead and we want to see this and we want to hear all about the Darth Vader Coco 3. So take it away, Terry Steggy. All righty. Well, first I'll give a disclaimer. No good Cocos were harmed in the creation of this. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> I received this, oh gosh, probably two years ago. I bought this Coco off eBay and it showed up. Um, the seller put it in a box and you know those little pillow air protect protectors is just, no, yeah. just one it, it, in the box so it showed up crushed the, the case was broke whole nine uh, yards so uh, i tore it all apart used some jb weld and bondo sanding and all that stuff and decided uh my son was kind of teasing me about we were uh, wanting to make a his game pc a uh, vader pc so I said, well, I'm going to make a Vader Coco. So after talking with um, Ed Snyder, he had uh, allowed me to be on the uh, Gimme X um, uh, beta team, I guess. Um, and then uh, Richard from Boysen Tech, he's got his black edition uh, updates for memory and all that stuff. I decided I'll just go ahead and make a Coco Vader. So... Um, let me switch over here. So, <clears throat> I uh, I've been trying to get some uh, into the badge making process, replacement badges. Um, I actually found a company, so I, I don't know if you can see it very well, but I was able to get a uh, my own custom badge made. It's kind of the bubble yeah. style. Yeah, Vader bubble. edition. That looks really cool. Very and cool. It's kind of hard to see, but well, maybe I can pick it up here. That's, That's like a Gimme X sticker, yeah. And Over like it. most most Coco threes, it doesn't have any screws in it either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought you broke it. We should show us the, the, the Vader there. Show us a close up of the Vader edition part of it, there, Terry. Oh, sorry. That's really cool. Yeah, it's kind of got the clear yeah. bubble. Yeah, that's awesome. Everything's backwards. <sighs> sorry. Harry, are you able to full screen the the? With the shot of the cocoa itself, or? Um, that's a good question. Ken Record says, I find your lack of SDC disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ken, it's uh, right there. So so it's in a black case, and it's got, does it have the black uh, circuit board, too? Is that the black uh, SDC circuit board, which you wouldn't yep, see? Yep, it's in got the, the black circuit board, and then yeah. uh, I can't so get it cool. to zoom. I'm sorry, Curtis, I'm not Okay, sure. no, I decided for the help of the viewers here, so. Um, again, Ed Snyder, I talked to him and, um, I actually had him make me a one-off of his mechanical keyboards. Um, that's from Zipter. I cannot get this centered. Sorry. That's cool. And that's so cool. Yeah. So did he make I, uh, it with that red bezel or did you paint that or? So what I did was I was able to get, um, it's kind of a vinyl covering he puts on it. I, I put, um, aluminum paint on it. Okay. And then I did a candy apple red. I was trying to go for like a... A metallic. Look. <laughs> and then it's also it's the... Really uh, the door. Here, but the, the cartridge door has got that metallic red too, huh? Cartridge door too, yep. So anyway, I love this keyboard, man. Yeah. I tell you what, he makes awesome keyboards. Yeah, I, I totally to agree. 
figure out a way to get the keys. They're just like a map engraved. They don't have any color to them, but it's actually not too bad. Sorry, that's awful to see there. Yeah, that's but, cool. Since since they're engraved, mm. you might be able to infill them with something light color, like a light, white putty or something, and then they would stand Yeah, out. I thought maybe about doing a, like an epoxy in there, if I yeah. could real fine brush. Yeah. Knowing me, I'll screw it up. So. <laughs> well, you can use your mark overhose or goggles. That'll help you out. Yeah, that's mm. true. So There's the Gimme X prototype. There's a Gimme yeah. X, yeah. X in there. All that their... needs is a spray paint, black spray paint on the Gimme X to make it all black. I'm not yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of Ed's uh, 3D printed box that puts out the S video to VGA. Um, it gives you some parameters. And then the other cable just allows you to connect to a USB um, box that you program the firmware with. Okay. And he's been pretty regular with updates on that. Um, is your I've RF a, can, have you just taken the hood off your RF can there? Is that what that, that's there? It is. That's just the RF can I took off. It had a kind of a rusted look to it. And, okay. Actually, this whole board was rusted pretty bad. I tore it apart, cleaned it. I actually had um, Richard uh, took it and uh, recapped the whole thing and put some uh, different sockets in there for me. So it Works pretty well. I, I love the machine. It's uh, very impressive. I've had uh, been working also on the uh, SDC Explorer, doing the color mods for it. And unfortunately, I got her all disconnected here, but I do have, um, I've been using that. And of course, I don't know if I can show that, it or not. Is that got a, uh, a boomerang RAM update? Uh, update That's the two meg Richard yep. version he's got. Yep. And then it's, I don't know if you can see it, but we do have a matching. Uh, oh, Gimme X sticker and black and red theme. Oh, Vader on the huh. monitor. That's so the cool. Gimme X badge <laughs> down there. Black and red, yeah. That's awesome, man. That's so, so had, cool. Had to do it matching, you know. Yeah, listen, got to coordinate, man. Got to coordinate. You have far more skill than I do, sir. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't say that. Uh, All of I my... lucked out, though, the mouse match. <laughs> yeah, the black and red. You didn't have to repaint uh, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Tandy was already ahead of you on the Vader mouse, huh? So... Yes, he <laughs> was. Yes, he <laughs> was. And the black beauty joysticks, of course, too, would match. Why did Tandy do that and be happy? So. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, that's the majority of it there. And... Yeah, and so what I've started doing is I've started working on my very own uh, Jar Jar Binks MC-10. So uh, <laughs> that will be that'll be available on a show and tell soon. Yes. So. Well, I don't have I don't have so much of a question, but I do have a comment. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. Then I guess is strong with this one. He would say, um, "Impressive." Impressive. <laughs> Most impressive. Now, does this have does? Does this Coco know the power of the 6309? It does. It has the uh, Hitachi um, chip in it. I wish you could, I could show you that. but uh, It's covered up by a couple of ribbon cables there now. And you've got the patch firmware for the boomerang where you're running at 3 megahertz too? Or? Yep, I've got that. I'm actually waiting. Ed's going to, is working on an 8 meg um, addition to the Gimme X. And I'm going to test that for him as well. So that will actually replace my boomerang. I can put that in a different machine, but uh, he's going to have an 8 meg uh, connector you, as well. You, 
You took the DAT board out from under the CPU in that, didn't you? you don't you don't yeah, run because, that with the Gimme X? The DAT is in yeah. the Gimme X. Built in the Gimme X, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I should mention That's the right. 8 meg that uh, he's doing is based loosely on what Paul Barton did back years ago with the Nocan 3. So, and since Paul's yeah. on the panel, I thought I'd shut him out. Shout him out. You've been it's shouted been out fun. there, Paul. Yay. Uh, no, that, that's a, that is a thing of beauty there. It's really cool to see how different people do certain things. I think it was Boise a few years ago who did like a Farfall themed uh, Coco 2. That was like kind of like the black, yet and black, red, and yellow. So that was kind of cool to see that one. I, I believe Carlos Camacho did a cool one too where he called it a Coco 1.5 where he took a Coco 2 and then he painted it the uh, Mercedes Silver. So it was a Coco 2 chassis with a Coco 1 paint job. And that was kind of cool to see, too. You know, so I, we've seen some Vader Coco 2s that were blacked out. We've seen some custom paint jobs, and that's always kind of cool. But this whole theme with the badges, I tell you what would really make that cool, too, would be some neon lights, you know, um, some internal light mods. I don't know. Well, the Boomerang it, E2 mm, has that mm, option. Yeah. I want lightsaber yep. sound effects. Yeah. Yeah, that would be kind of cool, exactly. too. Exactly. I, I actually yeah. have a... Yeah, like if you just hover your hand over the grill yeah, there. Yeah, Fairman type it's, thing yeah, where you just, you know. <laughs> time you insert a ROM pack. <laughs> and the LED should match. So as you get that zoom, it, it actually you know brightens up and then it dims down as your hand yeah, goes away. Yeah. Now, you know, <laughs> Mr. Dave has done the um, LED backlit keyboard that he did for his Raspberry Pi mod to the Cocoa, where it's using one of those little mini keyboards that's all backlit. It would be kind of interesting to see that. Those keys are screaming for red backlights right now. You know what I mean? That would yeah, be really absolutely. cool to see. Um, yeah, that's how I, I thought about that because actually that's how my my desktop yeah, is. Yeah, 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 yeah. That could be awesome. But... Yeah, there's got to be a way to, to incorporate those two. Talk to Mr. Dave about that. He's he's doing it. So. All right, uh, I'm going to Yeah, Mr. Dave, 6309. Now he's upgraded his handle. So he knows the power <laughs> of the 6309. Um. Yeah, that is beauty. That is beauty, mate. Well, thank absolutely. You. That's a beauty, eh? It's a beauty, eh? <laughs> Crikey! Crikey! <laughs> All right. Well, we've got plenty of more show in store for you today, boys and girls. This show is just beginning, but we wanted to get a few people um, uh, up front and get some of their stuff done because sometimes we run out of time or we run long. Every now and then we have the occasion to go long in this show. Not all the time, but occasionally the show has been known to be three plus hours. And so, for the benefit yeah, of those, once in a blue moon. yeah, for the benefit of those who don't have that much time, when <laughs> to get your projects out of the way. Now it all it has also been more than a week since I have um, uh, mentioned who's new to Discord. It's been a couple of weeks, so this is going to be a slightly longer than usual who's new to Discord segment. So, Ron Delvo, you've got time to go potty right now if you need to. We're going to take a break. We're going to see who's new to Discord this week. We're going to say hi to them, and then we'll be back with Nick Morota's favorite part of the show, the Game On segment. And we'll be back, everybody. It's time for everyone's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord This Week? Please welcome Tichiwam Philippe. He used to BBS, Deck B, and OS9. He's now working on getting serial ports to work in Maine. Fatty Lucia, Xander, enjoys video game consoles C64 
and the Amstrad. He recently got a Coco lot and found us. Brian O'Hagan has used a Coco since 82. He used a Deck B and OS9. He's now using a Coco 3 with an SDC and VCC. Mecha Boris, Carl, just found Coco Talk on YouTube. He's been using the Coco since 83 and he wants to learn OS9 and VCC. Doug Aldridge started on the 4K Coco 1. He's now the proud owner of more vintage systems than he wants to admit. Peter Mooney hails from Wales, the land of the dragon. He started on a TRS-80 Model 1 clone, and he got a Coco in a recent auction. Simon WGB started with the Dragon 32. He streams on Twitch and YouTube under the name Simon WGB. He's interested in learning the differences between the Dragon and the Coco. Arno wants to learn more about the Coco. He's a longtime Model 1 and Model 3 enthusiast, and he's the creator of Triss.io. Tapeless Tristan recently got a TRS-80 Model 3 and 4. Follow That Dale started with the 16K Coco 2 and 83. He just just got a Coco 3 and he's having a blast with the new math tutor. Low level, Stuart, his background is in 8-bit systems and repairs. He provides open source add-ons and he's looking to learn about the Coco. David Z started with the C64. He restores, rebuilds, and games. He was referred by Curtis and he's looking for some Coco assistance. Z9K9, Daniel, from the UK, started with the Spectrum and the C64. And as always, we'd like to thank the boosters of our Discord server, Boyson Tech, our Coco Talk patrons, David Ladd, Jim Rye, Paul Fiscarelli, Rob Inman, and Terry Steggy. You can join us on Discord by going to discord.cocotalk.live. See y'all on Discord! High Score Challenge with Dave Verona. And now, Coco Thoughts. By Samuel Gimes. With a food additive or a super vitamin, you transform into a giant leviathan. <laughs> Helpless people in taxi cabs scream as you reach in and eat them. Armed soldiers and copters chase you around as you punch at the buildings until they all fall down. Oh no, you know you've got to go, go on a rampage, yeah. Oh no, there goes town, you know, go on a rampage, yeah. <laughs> oh no. You know it's fun to go, go on a rampage. Yeah. Oh no. You land one more blow, go on a rampage. Yeah. I'm just oh. waiting for him to get his Grammy. Oh my God. <laughs> Samuel uh, Guy. Is that some type of cracker? 
<laughs> Woo! Samuel Gines has done it again, and I have nothing to fear from the YouTube copyright strikes when you play <laughs> when you play the actual song and don't even try to disguise the fact you're playing the actual song. YouTube favors that highly, and that's all good because wow. it, this is valuable, valuable money. Yes, but it is all about the show. In the show we have to give all we can for the show. If we lose our tens of twenties of cents of monetization for that. The show deserves the best possible production it can receive. And Samuel Gimes delivers week after week. Thank you. Miss Nick Marotta, do you approve of that? Oh, I, yeah, I thought it was really good. Yes, All absolutely. Right. Our, our, our resident music critic, uh, Ron Simon Cowell Del I'm not sure if he's still on his potty break. I wanted to see what he was going to say about that. But how about we do this? Let's, let's do it. I think he's play. in the bathroom throwing up after hearing that, actually. Let's, <laughs> let's play a clip where Nick Morota gets his name mentioned because he likes those types of clips. High score challenge. All right, and welcome to the Game On results. This week, we played Rampage with 20 scores submitted. Ben VR Drakes, 31,000. David Ladd, 39,810. Mark B, 42,825. Board of Car, 43,000. Frodo NL, 48,900. Adam Tandy Dragon Guy, 56,000. Cat Lord, 65,025. Canadian Retro Things, 66,950. Sharon, 76,960. Uh. Jim Ryan, 90,850. Rogelio, 96,210. Tom C, 104,360. Mr. Dave, 106,595. David Craker, 135,375. Sloopy, 150,445. Low Level, 188,055. Tasman, 196,710. Buck Owens, 245,245. Me, 367,070. And the number one score this week, which I should have deleted, Terry Stegi, 371,000. Way to go, nice score. And thank you to all, all right. of this week's participants. Proving his vice presidential medal. Yeah. <laughs> now, I'm, just, I'm just really disappointed there weren't more scores with the number nine in them. Nine in them. Now, now before nine. before we were on the air, Nick Morota had mentioned that he had put a little bit more feeling into the video this week. And I would have to say, <laughs> eh, I don't know, I didn't quite feel the feeling. It was good. You know what I would love to see, though, Nick Morona? One of these weeks, you got to outsource this to David Ladd. We had a great <laughs> show this week. We had 20 people playing the game. I am so excited to tell you that number 20 was... <laughs> uh, playing so, it on floppy disks. Uh, so... So uh, uh, I'll take that into consideration. <laughs> take that under advice. I'll, I'll file that in the, in the uh, suggestion uh, garbage. He'll, he'll file it where Rick Adams found that box. And how, and, how many, and how many times a week do you take out the suggestions out to the curb? <laughs> so, yeah, he's we had a couple. He's going to file it under horse shit. <laughs> so we had a couple new scores this week from new people. We have a, a person named Low Level who joined us this week, uh, joined us partway through the week and saw that we were doing this game and uh, submitted the score. So. Thank you, low level. And we also had Sharon, who is uh, Mrs. D uh, Mr. Dave. Sharon! So this is a <laughs> screenshot. This is, uh, this is unofficial, but it was uh, Sharon, Dave and Sharon playing two, a two-player game. 
Oh, uh, neat. Steve, Steve Bjork had requested some multiplayer screenshots, so Dave, uh, Mr. Dave came through. So there's a two-player screenshot. And Damn. he submitted a three-player screenshot as well. Which we can't so, see because it's chopped off on the top there. Well, yeah, the score, it's, the, it's not the score. He just wanted to show that there was. <coughs> ah, I see. There you go. Yes. So, yeah, because Steve uh, requested some people, you know, do the multiplayer one. And, yeah. of course, with COVID, a lot of us don't have any other players around to try. So. No, face it. We don't have friends. Yeah. No, it's I was trying to be polite. COVID has nothing to do with no, it. Speak sad. for yourself, loser. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the sad, the sad thing is you guys are my friends. So that's that is you sad. Know, you need to get some bet. You need an upgrade on your friends there, bro. <laughs> you need better friends, man. <laughs> so here's, this is the review from Rainbow. And I'm not, uh, not entirely favorable, but I'm not convinced that this person even liked the game at all in the first place because they also complained about the arcade version being... Is this the uh, same one who um, who reviewed uh, Sea Dragon and didn't actually ever get past the first screen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> actually, I think the guy that reviewed this, uh, Rick Adams, is he still here? Yes. Isn't that his friend from work? It is. So he, uh, he basically complained that it was kind of slow and he didn't like the fact that he needed two-button joysticks and, uh, and he found the whole concept of the game not, uh, not interesting enough to keep playing. So I don't think he was really a... Uh, fan of the entire game i'm gonna tell on you yeah but it's (laughs) but that's okay i mean you know we all have our interest we all have the games we like and the games we don't so it's not it's i'm not putting him down i'm just saying that but honestly uh, i mean i know this is all in the past but when you're reviewing it listen you want an honest review okay you don't want a censorship thing you don't want to just give a bubblegum you know thumbs up to anything however if the person reviewing the game didn't get it or wasn't a fan of the game that could actually hurt the sales, like some people are going to look at this. This is kind of like now we go online and we look at Yelp reviews and things like that. Somebody might have been on the fence or wasn't sure if they're going to buy it. And they read this and they got one person's opinion and maybe didn't buy the game. So, you know, it, it, you you would think you want honesty. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to sugarcoat things, but you, they should be done by people who at least understood the game and say, well, this is not my personal type of game. I do at least acknowledge that it's very close to the arcade. It looks and plays like the arcade. Say something nice about it. You know, well, so. he, he does say that. He does say it's very faithful adaptation to okay. the arcade. So I think in the day, if you liked the arcade game and read it, you'd probably read between the lines and, and see, that, okay, you know, it's, it's good to the, faithful to the arcade. This person doesn't like the arcade game, so maybe it's okay. you know, maybe yeah, it's yeah, 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 worthy. Yeah. So, and one thing uh, I can tell you is that Jim spent a lot of time in arcades. Okay, so he was wasn't like he's a it wasn't like arcade games were a foreign concept to him. Right. He just probably just okay. didn't like the game in general. He probably okay. just wasn't a fan well, of the whole. And that's I mean there are people I mean I talked to a couple of people in our certain our group here who weren't necessarily fans of this game either in, in general. So never mind the Coco version, just in right. general. Yeah, you know? if you don't like the you arcade know? game, you're not going to like the Coco version. We all have our things that we like, but I, I liked it. I, I love the arcade version, and I thought this this was a very faithful trans, uh, very faithful um, translation cover. Um, so, uh, so yeah, basically. Uh, so, is Terry still here? Terry Steggy, the winner of not only vice president but also uh, high score. Challenge Terry, do you want to share any of your award-winning strategies? I did a lot of jumping. <laughs> I found that I was able to pretty much rebuild my meter from empty to full again just by taking time to just eat a bunch of the soldiers yep. jump so, that, so that prolonged the, uh, you know and the tank i would pretty much uh I'd, I'd jump on the opposite side of it and then just let it roll off the screen and, and ignore it so that way it would buy me some more time before the next tank came out and i'd clear out the buildings behind the tank because it would never the tank never turned around so it was a lot it would just uh <laughs> so 
Um, but I got to the point where even though guys shooting at you and that were just sopping your energy and you just couldn't, you know, so my strategy stopped working at around that, that, that point. Cause you just, they're just shooting at you so much and so fast that your energy just got sapped. Um, but yeah, so I, that was my strategy for, for playing. And it's much like when you get into hour five of this show. <laughs> yeah. Your energy just gets sapped. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> now I want to mention things. Something that came up as a total coincidence, but on the Amigos Discord, their game for the Specky this this week or two week period was also Rampage. So actually, Frodo and Buck Owens and a few others were playing the head to head, the two versions. So it was interesting hearing their comparisons between them. Um, both uh, basically everybody there that played both of them agreed that the Coco version looks a lot better, but the Specky version is a little bit easier to play. And the one complaint they had on the Coco one is it's sometimes very hard to get onto the side of a building. I think Nick, you'd commented, you know, back in response to that. Um, you know, just controls-wise, it was a bit more difficult. And the Specky seemed to smooth flow, you know, easier to play. The scoring is much different between the two, too, so you can't even compare scores between the two versions. But I now, just find it kind of interesting that we had a comparison live of two versions. When I went diagonal on the control pad, I used to say a Genesis uh, compatible controller for this. And when I did diagonals on the game pad, I seemed to be able to go up and down the buildings. Uh, without too much issues so but uh, i mean but some people had uh, somebody was using the deluxe joysticks so maybe that was part of it or uh, i don't know but uh and it I might mean, just also, be, you know the comparison like between the two like maybe the controls are a little bit easier another one if you played that you might agree with them yeah exactly and then somebody also suggested that the uh dynamite guy acts a little bit uh, more like the arcade in the specky version where he drops the dynamite walks off the screen and then the building blows up whereas on here the building blows up uh, very shortly after he drops the dynamite. So there might be, so might be some subtle differences, but um, but yeah. Well, one of the big helps I had was if you get on a building like that blue one there and the, the uh, yellow ones behind it, if you punch straight punch up, up you while also, you're climbing, yeah, you can be hitting those other. You oh. basically can get two buildings at once there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it looks it looks a heck of a lot like the arcade, which is, you know, with only having 16 colors and only having 64 palettes to choose from and having like, you know, 50 of those 64 colors look like shit. The fact that anybody's able to make anything look good on the Coco 3 is always, as I started playing with the palette hacks and trying to find four good colors to palette hack like a, a P-Mode 3 game, I'm like, how did anybody make anything on the Coco 3? Half <laughs> these colors just suck. So, um it is. It looks really good. From what I recall, I, it seems pretty accurate for the color yeah. reproduction from the arcade. Yeah. I will mention John Schaller. Um, he, he quite liked the Rampage port on the Coco when they reviewed it way back when, but now he's actually played it on RGB thanks to mm -hmm. uh, Rob and, and, and Jason there, and he's he quite likes how it looks now. Like It's even better yet than the old composite version. Yeah. Now, I, w it would have been nice to see if uh, Jacob Moore had a chance to play this week because he, at Coco Fest, he got to go to the arcade with Steve Bjork, him and Bruce and Jacob. And they were playing not only the real Rampage, but then Steve gave him all kinds of tips about playing the Coco version because he heard it from the author's mouth you know like how some of the internal logic works and stuff like that so a great person to give us some tips and tricks would be jacob moore so maybe we can get him on sometime to talk about it or if the next time steve's on too just to get some more of that but um that he definitely would have had a he would have been the ringer this week if jacob had played you know does this game allow multiplayer yes three yep three keyboard yeah. for the I third think, i think that's the um the big the big fun of this game that when you have two or three players playing at once it becomes a lot more exciting than just yeah. a one player so that guy who reviewed it did he play it in multiplayer or just a, a one-off 
Uh, he said his son played it too, but I don't think they. Yeah, played, but one off. Yeah, because I mean, I agree with him in a sense that the game is boring. I never liked the arcade game either, but that's because I only played single player. When you play multiplayer, it's a different game because you're competing with other real players, and it adds to the fun. Yeah, plus you can eat each other like when you like when you shrink yeah, down like it's yeah. showing now. You can run over and eat that person too. So oh yeah, oh, yeah. so it's. It, 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 yeah, he he obviously didn't play it multiplayer. I say, I'd say. I'd my memory have... of the arcade is the same. People, the game. I didn't see the rampage cabinet getting played by one person very often at all. It was always lined up with three, and they're laughing and punching each other in the sides yeah. and stuff like that while right. they're playing. So, so in the arcade, of course, you could feed another quarter in, and then and then you float in on a on a little balloon and and join the game again. I I don't I, don't, I imagine this allows you to continue again after you're dead in the multiplayer. I, I've never I honestly can't it, remember. So. I haven't played it in multiplayer in years. Oh, I, I do I do remember playing this game. Uh, a fellow that I went to school with, his name is Paul, and he had a Coco 3, and I didn't have a Coco 3 at the time, and that was my first experience with this game is when I went to go visit him. And uh, it, it's it, Yeah, it's a, there's a lot more fun in this game when you do have multiple players. I, I can't uh, disagree with that at all. Last year at BCF West, uh, Rob Inman and Tim Linder wrote me into playing this in three-player mode there at the, at the uh, presentation. It was pretty so, cool. Were you the monkey in the middle using the keyboard? <laughs> uh, no, I think I was on. I think I was on. I was using a, a Sega pad with a. Because two of them are key, two of them are joystick, but the third one's keyboard, right? It's keyboard. Yes, exactly. So Bone of Cars saying the Specky version allows you to have two computer-controlled uh, AI uh, opponents or teammates, however you want to play. So that is another difference between the spec and the specky and the uh, Coco. Um, and and don't forget, uh, Steve York did this uh, program in one month. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty yeah. impressive. So this was one where he had to meet a deadline, and he got the whole thing done in one month. Yes, and I, I, yeah. I believe he said I, I, last I, yeah. week it extended the length of the Coco Three because they saw how you know, this was very yeah. impressive. I, I think they showed. If I remember the story correctly, they said he said that. Uh, they were showing it off to a group of uh, people, and uh, some of them thought that it was the Tandy 1000 version, and they were surprised to find out that no, that's the that's the color computer. <laughs> yes. So this was obviously Steve uh, Stevie Stroh's uh, gameplay. Thank you, Stevie. Oh, well, my pleasure. Oh, is that who that guy is? And I was wondering was who that wondering was. Why I was losing? <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought we were, I was hoping to see more than the first level, so that explains it. <laughs> this one is from Atari Leaf, which I uh, thank you, Atari Leaf, for letting me take. And this looks to be composite. Yeah. In this case. Yeah, this is captured. But here you see them floating in multiplayer. So yeah, it is a little slow on multiplayer, but the, so is the arcade, according to the review that that he wrote. So. I think he actually does the high speed poke here and finds it too fast and then goes back to the uh, mm. the single speed. So high yeah, speed this, poke. Well, this, it, this is. A, I don't. It must not use the high. Well, I don't know. He flipped it's on, he, it's on a Coco three, so it's well, then probably somehow in high he, speed. Somehow he sped it. Oh, maybe he just just throttled the. Uh, maybe he turned off yeah. the frame. The frame throttling. So never mind. Yeah, yeah. on an emulator. Yeah, the original game I'm pretty sure runs in double speed to begin with. Most yeah, it would, of course. Days. Of course it would. Yeah, he yeah it's going pretty quick right now. When you look at that wolf, how fast it's punching. Mm. That is pretty quick. So, yeah, he just turned off the frame throttling. Sorry about that. Um, you fired. Yeah, I know. slowing down again. <laughs> I, I was a little disappointed that the uh, movie didn't match the game here as far as the way the creatures look. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I gotta say, I didn't hate them. I saw the movie and I didn't hate it. You know, it's one of those ones where it's like, oh, what are they gonna do? You know, 
Um, and it was it was cool. It yeah, it's a pretty thread, threadbare plot, really. So yeah, <laughs> it's got to be better. I haven't even seen it. It has to be better than Battleship the movie. <laughs> oh I can't God. wait for Connect Four the movie. Yeah, two oh. two two hours of hearing B four you missed is just boring. So. Oh, I'm, I'm waiting for with... new math tutor the movie. Mm-hmm. The other <laughs> thing with this game is the tanks are killer. You want to avoid those tanks. They they really suck the energy out of you. So. Yeah. And that was Thanks a very, for that tip. Very good port. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, and I'm uh, sure this game could be optimized to be faster and put some fancier stuff in. But like, like we've mentioned, it was you know done in a month on a deadline. In fact, they've got a pretty big bonus for doing it that quickly, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and really, the ones the one player uh, mode was totally fine for speed. And I don't know, I, I imagine two players probably fine. So the three is a little slow, but yeah, it's a really excellent port, though one of the one of the top uh, top ports for the Coco Three for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Especially for official ports. Yeah. yeah, does anybody else have any other tips and tricks or anecdotes or you want to share about the game? No, going once, going twice. So, Nick Morota, will you indulge us and let us know what next week's game of the week is? All right. So, again, continuing the Halloween theme-ish, kind of, sort of. Uh, next week's game is... Ooh, is it going to be Poltergeist? Oh. No, Phantom I Slayer. thought about it, but <laughs> Phantom Slayer. Ooh. Yeah, other ones I would think of would be like Fangman and uh, Poltergeist. And... Thought about Fangman, wasn't sure how if, if uh, I wasn't sure, and I thought about Poltergeist, and wasn't sure. So I chose this Dang. one because I know this one. Yeah, was, I was uh... actually Friday night. I was getting, I had a spontaneous thing to possibly play some Poltergeist just because we're in October, the whole nine yards, and um, it, I st- is... still might want to do that. Yeah. Is Ben Drake going to be banned from playing this? I was going to say Ben Drake's also uh, featured recently. He uh, adapted this to the VR, so I thought that kind yeah, of what a good night year for this game. And also, Gee. it's one of Curtis's favorite games, or at least it was at the time of writing this. Uh, oh, it still is. This, still uh, is. There's so, the, uh, the interview with Ken Kalish I did that's on my page, too, actually has some details on his thinking behind the writing of the game and the sound effects he used. So I didn't play this one back in the day. I only tried it a few times, and I'm not that great at it. So I don't know if it's hard or if it's me. But it's definitely most... read the manual. There's some tips in there, like using the one to six keys to change your proximity detector, uh, the green square that you can find energized, which will teleport you back to the middle and show you where the phantoms are right at that snapshot second. That definitely is a help. There's certain strategies for hallways. I'm assuming we're playing this with uh, maze level one. Maze level one, yes. And speed. So one and one for speed for the maze level, yeah. Yeah. So that's our game for the week, and I hope you guys enjoy it, and I can't wait to see what you guys do with it. And This is uh, totally palette hackable, too, I guess you would imagine. Yes, it's P-Mode 3, so you can change the palette on a Coco 3. Palette slots uh, 1 through 0 through 3. I always get that mixed up. Yeah. I actually mentioned last week uh, that when we were talking about what was your first game you ever purchased on the Coco or, or played on the Coco, and this was my th- first third-party game I ever bought for the Coco was this one. All right. So thank you, Stevie. Thank you guys for taking part and we'll see you next week. Far out. Well, we're going to keep the game theme rolling. L. Curtis Boyle has some game on news to share. Not a with lot, us. but yeah, I got a little bit. <laughs> so let me share the screen. This time I remember to turn the sound on. Hey, you guys seen that? Hi, Laddie. Okay, so the first one up is Jim Gary, who had a slow week as well here. There's only one new video from him. 
And this is a uh, further update to the multiplayer 3D engine in SG4 that he and Erico, who's in the chat, are collaborating on. This time showing the six players' individual viewpoints. And he's running it on the Coco this time instead of the MC10. And this is the one they're going to try to get running, you know, over drive wire networking or possibly, you know, actual real networking later on too. So this is so cool. Yep, and the yellow yellow box I believe is marking which which player you're actually looking okay. at. Maz Quest. So just fast forward a little bit here when he's got some action. Okay, now somebody's here. moving, yeah. And the yellow box is marking which which player is the yeah. one you're viewing. Mm -hmm. Hicks. This has got me wanting to watch the movie right now. <laughs> this uh, So Aliens, very much in the vein of like Terminator 2, there's very few movies where the second sequel was probably better than the original and also nothing else that ever followed was ever as good. <laughs> that can, That's true for the Aliens anthology and the terminator anthology right so the first See, one was I, I good. would disagree the, on aliens myself but because i like the horror aspects of the original aliens the aliens yes yes, yes more of an true, action movie. so true. depending what genre you prefer yes yes but but nothing after aliens 2 was anywhere near as good as the first two as i would say about the same thing with the terminator franchise so i have um, them all in laser disc ah. that's right <laughs> <laughs> yes and Aaron mentions, and Star Wars, or er, Wars. Yes, yes. The original, <laughs> nothing will ever be as good as the original trilogy of Star Wars. So, Yeah. I, um, I want to see Star Wars, though. What is that, like yeah. a hospital show or something? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, this is cool. And it's amazing. Not, not only are we talking about SG-4, which is a low resolution to begin with, but now we're looking at a, <laughs> a Hollywood Squares version of SG-4 where you've got these little tiny windows that are still <laughs> conveying 3D perspective and, and movement. So that's completely and utterly impressive yeah i'm, I'm really interesting where to see where the two of them are going to take this game that's that's going to be pretty cool i think and if they can get the live networking working like they're planning on through either the drive wire networking or external networking that's uh we, that's something that the coco hasn't really explored we had a little burst of two-player games that you could play over the modem or direct connect cables uh like chess and checkers and othello um, you know, some take your turns adventure games and stuff through OS 9. There was quite a few multiplayer strategy games. And of course, P51 Mustang Attack Simulator, which is the first really real-time graphics game. And then the network game that uh, Brett Gordon did a couple years back for Coco Fest, he did that artillery one for nine or ten players at once. But we haven't really explored that. And I mean, some of the other 8-bits have actually gone full throttle into this. Mark, I'm sure you can speak to this there's some networking oh, yeah. games on the Apple II that are you know, far ahead of what Commodore. The there's so there's like roguelike yeah. games that are cross-platform on a lot of 6502 8-bit systems. Yeah, actually, 8-bit Slicks is pretty cool. It's a racing game, like Slips and what is it? Ah, Slips okay. And, yeah, so it's it's a four-player, uh, and you can play Apple or Atari or Commodore, and so or, if, I think also. If this thing gets going, are we going to have this live over our show? Oh, that would be awesome. I think it? so. Yes, it would. I would be. love to. Hmm. We've talked about doing Brett's artillery game that yeah, way. I know, would love so. a Coco-based run-and-gun first-person shooter where we could start to run around and just pick each other off in hallways. I shot David Ladd. I shot Nick Marotta. <laughs> I shot the sheriff. And then I you get a puddle of sheriff. Dr. Pepper yeah. on the floor. It'd be awesome. Yeah, right? So that would be kind of cool. But yeah, I'm hoping like between Brett Gordon and uh, Jay Cyril who are doing that... Uh, 
sort of isometric three or not 3D, but isometric adventure game that's also networkable. And this one that between the two of these projects <clears throat> will eventually get a decent enough underlying engine for doing networking games that people can just borrow that and then start just making their own. And then like you know, Stevie said, we'll have all kinds. You can yeah. shoot them up so you can have strategy, you can have all kinds of things. I would never have guessed you could get a six player screen on one Coco in a low res like this, but here it is. Yeah, yeah, that it's it's impressive visually just to get, you know, that fit in, and that also means the Coco one and two people can join in too. It's not just a Coco three thing, which I, I would well, have they, thought if we we're doing a yeah. working game, that's what it would have needed. But this is cool. Yeah, very, very cool. cool. Next up, uh, Paul Thayer. Uh, speaking of new games, he's working on Coco Bond, so he's actually added some stuff to it. So in this one, he kind of describes more of the development side of things too, but he's explaining you know, some of these extra features that are in like keys that unlock the door to get the green gem, which goes to the next level and some other pieces he's added and some of the coding he's sped it up so it's not taking so much background CPU time to do all the checks of everything. So I'll let you guys watch the video on your own. And then a day or two later, he posted another update where now he's doing these uh, laser pointers. Oh, um, wow. Circled here. And actually, you got these, you'll, you'll see the little uh, gray triangle. I'd like that reflects the laser beam. Yeah, so you can redirect laser around things um, and then you know, block things off. So he's uh, doing some pretty cool stuff with that. And there's just starting to work on the graphics. I know he was talking to me on Discord last night. It's, it's taking more CPU time to do all the checks. You know, where is it getting deflected? Where is it going? Is it deflecting a second or third time? It's supposed to go through certain objects, but stop when it hits others. So he's, he's trying to figure out how to get it so it's running fast enough. So we talked a little bit back and forth on Discord last night. I'm not sure how far he got with that, but uh, he wants to get it sped up so he doesn't have to slow down the frame rate. Neat. Good plug for Discord there, because we have a lot of people with knowledge to share. You can reach out, and we get a lot of resources available to you in our community. And sometimes it's even correct. <laughs> <laughs> and the last game on one, uh, John Linville posted this up on the uh, Coco Crew thing, and it's just a 20-second little clip, so I'll just play it. It's got a little bit of voiceover. So I've been doing a few experiments with a vertical scrolling background engine on the Coco 1 and 2. Looks pretty good so far, what do you think? So he hasn't really said if this is for a game project, though I'm assuming it is. I did ask him, like, are you doing something special? Like, I know Karen had done some wacky stuff with the Sam and BDG to actually do a hardware scroll on a Coco 1 2 or a Dragon. And uh, in this case, he posted just two lines of code, so I can tell he's doing stack blasting, Okay, uh, which is probably the fastest we can do this kind of stuff. So I'm just interested in what, what type of a game he's planning to do with the faster scrolling. So keep Looks an eye cool. on that. And that's all I got for game news. And that's the rest ah. of the story. Well, I might uh, have something to, to talk about in game news. Okay. Go ahead. I'll just, I've... Uh, uh, my pipes game, I've been working on my pipes, pipes game. It's all finished. And uh, I've been compiling all the uh, data ready for distribution. And uh, I've even started uh, developing the uh, packaging. So the game, I'm going to be selling that as a digital download like before. Um, but I also decided uh, to make a CD or to release it as a CD for those people who like a, a collectible item. And I've just got a picture of a mock-up cd case that i've started cool i'll just see if my um oops i've turned the video on and off here we there go. You go so i'm just designing the artwork and i've decided what i'll do is also 
uh, throw-in Rally SG. So it's it's a dual pack. Nice. It's going to have both uh, pipes and Rally SG because I never released Rally SG on a CD for, okay. for a collector. That's cool. So I Ooh, thought I will. Pro, man. Looks pro. It's yeah. So that's the artwork I've designed. So it's the back cover, uh, the spine, and the uh, cover. There, so it's just color printed on a. Uh, I'd like to know the correct correct pronunciation. Is it pipes or pipes? Pipes. <laughs> P pipes. <laughs> yeah, well. Pipes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And uh, the insides are little instruction sheet and the CD itself. These are just yeah. all mock-ups. Just so I can get all the alignments of the, the imagery to correct for the, uh, the, the packaging itself. All right. How much is that one right there? Uh, this one was sell. Um, I'm planning on selling it for $18. Now, so, Nick, I, I don't want to like jump the gun here, but did you want to mention some of the special options that are coming with it? Uh, well, or are you going to well, wait on the, that? The, uh, there's, uh, Rally, Rally SG, I also added a uh, level editor. So you get one extra thing with the Rally SG as well. So um, nice. yeah, a little bit bonus. And I also decided to throw in a CD's got, a CD's got so much space. And of course, these games don't really fill a CD. So I throw on, uh, I had my old Donut Dilemma um, game that I wrote also on the Coco 1 and 2. And I thought I'll upload the original PAL distribution of Donut Dilemma because I've always had the uh, Coco 3 modified version going up. And I, I, I dug out in my archives the original download from way back in 1980. 1986 so i've got that on there and uh my new toy so i made it my all the vdg games that i wrote for the coco basically are on this cd because oh, cool. everything everything after this was coco 3 so i thought i'll make this a uh, coco 1 and 2 special of which all the games work um on a coco 3 as well but these are games specifically using a VDG. So that also include Neutroid? Yeah, it's got Neutroid, which which doesn't work on a Coco 3. Right. But it does have the enhanced, uh, updated um, Neutroid. 2015. Yeah, the yeah. 2015 one. So you do get Neutroid. And I want to mention, too, um, the the version of Don't Dilemma, because this is the original PAL version, for those people that have Dragons or PAL-based Cocos, I know we have some you know listeners and, and, and viewers in you know the UK and... and Europe and France and all over the place too. So this is one that actually uses that version of Don't Dilemma uses the PAL artifacting, which is done totally differently in the Cocos. The Cocos is based on NTSC, which means your horizontal pixels dictate your artifact colors, whereas the PAL ones you do, you know, vertical vertical is how you do it. If you alternate lines of color, it'll blur together into a new color. So you'll actually get enhanced graphics on Donut Dilemma than you would normally get on this now one if do, you have a PAL based. It doesn't Coco. work too. It works well on a PAL TV. Uh, and, and and the worse the TV is, the better. <laughs> the worse the TV. <laughs> so, so you get very uh, nice extra colors. And I think uh, the extra colors, apart from the four P-Mode uh, three colors, uh, you do get a, a good red and a good blue. And yeah, the worse the TV, the better it is. Whereas with <laughs> modern TVs, and if you have an LCD monitor, uh, composite monitor going, uh, it, all you see are the actual stripes, which isn't too bad. It, look, it has a bit of a psychedelic look to it. But <laughs> I figured this is more for historical 
uh, archival reasons. Uh, not so much a, hey, here's a new game. <laughs> it's really, this is the way it was way back in 1986. This is the original distribution that was uh, I made and sold through Tandy here in Australia. So, uh, I just think it's cool because I know there's not been as much love for the dragons and stuff. I mean, your last couple of games here, actually, with the semi graphics, actually do work in full color on those platforms too. Yeah. But your your version of Donut Dome is actually a six color P mode three game, and it, it looks is. like yeah. real six colors um, yeah. when when you see it on PAL. So, yeah. hey Nick, that, that's a great slogan. The worse your monitor, the better. better yeah, out. exactly. That's, 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 <laughs> it sounds like a slogan we could adapt for this show. Yeah, the worse uh, your screen, the better we look. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. That's like the famous house band line too. Drink up, folks, because the more you drink, the better we sound. Right. So that's uh, right. <laughs> I, I use that as dating advice. The more they drink, the, the better I look. So yeah. That's right. So, How much more for a cassette version of those? Well, actually, uh, the pipes game. Um, is the new pipes game is there is a cast file as well as the uh, dsk on there as well so you can create your own cassette file and i think i've done the same for the rally sd as well so yeah both games can be converted to a cassette i, I obviously don't bundle the cassette with this because the the disc maker only makes the disc yeah, this, that's this gets cool, made in the US, but the, there are CAS files and there's even WAV files, so you can actually take the files and record them on a real cassette and make a cassette version for people who only cool. have a cassette, yeah, a cassette the... Coco One and Two or Dragon, yeah, yeah. Dragon. Really have a Dragon because a Dragon people generally tend to be cassette yeah. based a lot. More yeah, so yeah, you can just make your own cassette then. And, and I've got and... a great feature creep idea for you, Nick. Oh, here we go. Um, <laughs> instead of just having it a CD-ROM, you should make it a, if you could make it a dual session with audio tracks that you could load directly from. Oh. <laughs> There's your feature yeah. creep. That's right, yeah. And that way you can, <laughs> play, you can play it in your vehicle, too. Hey, like your car, yeah. Plug in <laughs> headphone jack and there you go. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what Ken showed on... Um, Canadian retro things here just a little while ago when he was loading stuff from his CD player. Jason, I got another product idea for you. Um, a lot of the guys maybe that are um, Dragon users and some Coco users have um, these old CCR um, tape players, but uh, you know, they, uh, the um, rubbers dry out in the inside. Maybe you could uh, find a way to do like a kit for them to repair. Uh, I, I believe a lot of that stuff is available. You, the, I, I think you're speaking like the belts. Uh, I think yeah, a lot of that yeah. stuff is out there. I, that's not my uh, area of expertise, but I have uh, I have seen various people do that, and you can usually obtain those belts. Uh, there is nothing worse than yeah. dried-out rubbers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the news I have for on, on the pipes thing. The other thing I, I might mention as well, and I think, um, Curtis, you said uh, we this might be good to mention yes. on the uh, the game news uh i think uh was it it was ron delvo last week who brought brought this up ron yeah. delvo well, someone someone had mentioned that uh, about an antico uh yeah third party rom case right well when i saw the pictures on the facebook page uh, and i noticed who was it tim tim uh i think uh, linda linda i think posted some pictures he said he had he had one and um, he, he mentioned it looks just like a real Tandy one, of course. It's got the uh, the, the the door. 
the door with the spring load on it and everything. Uh, but he said you can always tell that this is the end, the one made by um, Antico because it's it's very flat on the top, whereas the Tandy the uh, Tandy's ones had a slight indent where the label gets okay. stuck. And so when I saw that picture that up with the flat surface, it reminded me oh, I've got one of those in somewhere in one of my junk boxes, and I always wondered why you know, where I got it from. So I found it, pulled it out. And lo and behold, it is an Antigo one. So I don't know how I got this. What's but that's in it? An, well, in, inside it is, if I open it up carefully without it falling too part, this one even has a board. And the board, if I take it out of the holders, and it's it's the proper Antico board, but it's a, a board whereby it's got a socket for a ROM. So the idea is that if, I guess... Any company that wants to distribute their own game cartridges and wanted a case, they would buy this case, which also came with a little PCB board, whereby their game would be burnt to an EEPROM, stick it on the uh, in the socket, and put it all together, and there it was oh. a, a a ROM cartridge. So, yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I, I always wondered why I had this cartridge and why there was a a board in there with no ROM socket. There's so, no identifying uh, wording on that thing at all? Yeah, on the board, it does say Antico. Oh, So it is, it is the proper Antico one, yeah. That, so they actually did sell this with the board, with the intent that it was for people who wanted to release games on a ROM pack. That's cool. And we know it's, how uh, much Nick Morentes loves to release things on ROM cartridge. Well, you notice why it's empty still after all these. <laughs> <laughs> is the spring just the same as uh, the Tandy ones too? Pretty well, yeah. Or is it that is, a different? Very similar. Yeah. It is. It's very much a. It's a very good replica. I don't know if you can see it very well there, but yeah. so it just sort of. I like it's how that down, circuit. See it. I like how that circuit board was all hand snapped apart. Someone had a big raft of those oh, and had yeah, to snap them that. apart and screw them in. Yeah, yeah. They were kind right. of, they're kind of perforated, huh? Yeah. Yeah. But look how yeah. small the footprint on that PCB is, too. There's really no wasted uh, board there. So it's really economic, no, really no. efficient on uh, on surface space, you know? That's right, yeah. Well, I think even the Tandy, um, the, the official Tandy ones, later on, the, they didn't even use a uh, IC socket. Yeah, they just had a little blob. They had a, they had a blob, so the, the circuit was was uh, flat, and it was on the actual circuit board, and there was a blob stuck the over cob. it. So a lot of places. Yeah, you know, whatever that, the, yeah. the real term is. Uh, like but, a, yeah, a po it's like a, an epoxy or a... Yeah, something. Uh, COB, chip on board. Seal. Or yeah. yeah, exactly. Even... But Even Nintendo one, did that at some point. Yeah, also, this, yeah. this is so that people can make their own ROM packs. Yeah, uh, and yep. just and, and that's a lot ROM. smaller than the original Tandy boards. Those things were yeah, like yeah, the, the original ones. So. Well, I mean, hence why the cases were were this big. The very first ones did have a larger board mm -hmm. and probably had room for two two smaller EEPROMs. But uh, I assume this so, is to use a a, a, so a bigger EEPROM. So Nick, hey, since you what? haven't done anything with it all this time, <laughs> and since it's been on our show, this is uh, going to be for sale for around seven hundred dollars. Oh yeah, <laughs> at, at least it'll be discounted down to seven hundred. So yeah, <laughs> rare. Hey, Nick, while while supplies last, <laughs> oh, one of them. cover it in red dust as well to make sure. Is there yeah, any deal right. with with a ROM with a ROM attached? What 
what ROM fits in there. Yeah. Uh, Anywhere from 2K to a 16K from what the ad yeah, said. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. think Ron had fit in that. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so anyway, that's cool. So that's my other. Well, that's a, that's think... a bit of history because I remember seeing the full page ads like Ron had discovered there in the rainbow. And I remember they sold their own games like Intergalactic Force and Eight Ball Pool and a few other things. And I think, I'm not sure, but I think Microworks Star Blaster might have been using one of these two. Terry Stege, I believe you actually have a Star Blaster. I don't know if it uses the same case without that label indentation. I'll have to go look, look at it. I'm not sure. Because I don't think Microworks actually did their own manufacturing, whereas Antigua was a subdivision of a manufacturing company. So, I mean, they had the resources to pull it off. Kind of funny as a hardware manufacturer, I bet that lack of a label indentation made every single game label has come off of every single one of those cartridges that was ever okay. released. Well, what would be really cool is if somebody had the wherewithal to put the screw on the bottom so if you had to switch out roms <laughs> you didn't have to break your label you know what i mean that's indeed, just indeed. that's just the worst design choice ever it's like well, let's put the screw right where the label's gonna go so well the, it, this one does still have that I yeah i know but that's just that's just ridiculous so it's, yeah, it, yeah somebody should have said let's put the screw on the bottom so we can wait open it up and not break the label well it, yeah, it's, wait a minute it's a, a built-in warranty seal you know <laughs> yeah, it's yeah if you had that ROM pack, and I have most of mine, I've never, ever taken one apart. In fact, I've had them come off because the glue no longer sticks. Yeah, but in a case like yeah. this where this is a kit where you're doing your own ROM, and your chances are you might be doing it for development and testing, there might be times you want to continue to test and reburn your ROM, and if you had done a label, yeah, then you okay. kind of you know screwed the pooch on the label here's one right now here's a new downland cartridge uh -huh. completely sealed and blah yeah. blah and uh if i can get the top open the board's unscrewed the board itself is unscrewed it's, oh, so it's, it's come guys. unscrewed yeah there's no way to fix it without breaking the label uh, so yeah, right. it yeah. would be nice but it's not anymore for no apparent reason, yeah. you can't plug it in. Yeah, it's just that was just a bad choice I, to not have, to have the screw to have it where it's not like you unscrewed cartridges every day. But the hey, good sense uh, would have been let's put it. Patrick, on the Patrick yes. maybe you could come up with a, uh, a a nozzle that would go in there with a glue gun and make just throw it, it in. <laughs> <laughs> hey Patrick, you might try something like a hair dryer on really low heat and just kind of warm the label oh, up. Maybe loosen it up. Loosen yeah, because the there aren't many of these that are nice anymore. Yeah, if you need a hair dryer, check with David Ladd. Yes. <laughs> oh yes, I I have plenty I'm not using right now. <laughs> I do think Nick Nick has a point though, Nick Morandi's that uh, that probably is like a hidden warranty sticker. Yeah, that's not that's probably true. Right, right? but put a warranty sticker on. Mm. It. Right. Yeah, yeah put a warranty dryer, sticker on the screw gun. on the bottom. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll make a sketch. Yeah. Cool. Oh. Very cool. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing the first ever Nick Morenti's ROM cartridge release game. And uh, put me down for your first sale. There you I go. Do. He's got <laughs> one. Do you, you, you think you can fit all of Nitrous 9 on there, Nick? Or? I will prepay for that in, in advance. <laughs> I did get one other thing as well. It's not really game news. This I did order my uh, my MIDI pack from Jim Brain oh. that came in last week. So Ooh. I haven't plugged oh. it in because I've got to set up my old vintage... Uh, uh, MIDI keyboard, which I haven't done. It's somewhere boxed away. But yeah, there it is. So very cool. Have a screw yeah. in it too. 
Yes, under, the, under the label. It probably does, under the label. Under the label. <laughs> <laughs> That's the warranty seal. Yes, the warranty seal. I think seal. they designed the yeah. label with a hole in it. Yeah, they could do that too. Seal that would for be your good, protection. Yeah. Huh. That's got an arrow indicating what direction to put the uh, cartridge yes, in. Yes, that's right. Yeah, now this is the cartridge that John Linville does. So yeah, um, that's yeah, a so no spring door, but it does have the arrow and it does have the little thumb grips on the sides to pull mm -hmm. it out. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's Those got are that absolutely in. necessary. And it's shiny plastic, shiny brand new plastic. It's shiny plastic. And uh, I don't think that the spring door is really... Um, a needed mechanism. I think the no, idea they used was to, to break after a time anyway. I hate yeah, things. yeah. I think it was there just to keep the contacts of the uh, edge connector clean. So by, you know, when you pull the cartridge out, it covers it. Is but it normal to have? Is it normal to have John Linville on twice on a show? <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, but as Very it is, cool. the uh, mini board obviously just protrudes beyond the size of the case. So yeah, you've got good That's demo right. hands. For, for yeah. TV. He's like a hand model. So he yeah. You're soaking in it. You're soaking in it. <laughs> uh, We're soaking in something with him, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> it's upside down, though, Nick. Bye, Terry. Terry, Terry Stuggy says he's got to go. <laughs> Goodbye, Terry. There you go. How's yeah, that, Terry? Oh, there much better. Hi, Terry. Nice. Bye, Terry. Thanks again. Have a great day. Okay, see ya. Very that's cool. better. <laughs> and that's all I've got. All right. Good stuff, good That's stuff, good stuff. Does anybody else have any gaming-related stuff to share before we go to break? Uh, we're going to commercial anybody. break, and then we'll be back with news news from Al Curtis Boyle. Well, get your pillow ready there, Mikey. That's right. All right, so we're going to take a break, <laughs> and then we'll be back with news from L. Curtis Boyle after these words here. Here's a hi-fi bargain from your nearby Radio Shack store. Save $100 on our exclusive realistic 77 AM-FM stereo receiver. Only $159.95 during the sale. With audio component features like FM muting, push-button tape monitor, main remote speaker switching, in a genuine walnut veneer case. The ideal control center for your new music system. The sale-priced realistic 77 receiver. Only at Radio Shack. A Tandy company. Tired of your color computer art input device being low res? Joey has you covered again. Switch between three joysticks or mice. Select the left or right port on your Coco. No more swapping joystick ports. Switch between standard and high resolution mode. Supports the Tandy and the Max high resolution mode. Pre-order yours today at Cocoman.biz. The music is back. I don't need that report tomorrow. That's great, JT. I need it tonight. Oh, JT. Fletcherlack saved over 300 clams, you dig? When she got her a Model 100 from Radio Shack, like a good little consumer. It's like 
a word processor, a phone directory, and dialer. You dig, man? And even like, you know, can groove with your office computer. Fletcher? Fletcher. You'll go far, Fletcher. You'll go far. ESP 8266-01 RS232 TTL Wi-Fi Network 4-pin DIN Fitbanger DB9 PC IP DriveWire 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 Oh, I'm much happier breaking stuff. Hello, I am the speech and sound pack, and you are listening to Colcol Talk. From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on News with El Hello, a Muppet News Flash. All right, our news anchor, Al Curtis Boyle. Oh, this is my cue to wake up, sorry. Yeah, this is oh. Mikey's cue to go to sleep and your cue to wake up. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm assuming sharing is working here, and I was sharing hoping is... El Presidente would be here to talk about this, but he's not. I see it. Actually, before I get into the first story here, I should mention, uh, we, of course, mentioned that Terry Stiggy got elected vice president. We should probably cover the other positions, too. So Jim Brain is the president. Um, Terry Stiggy is the vice president. Brian Gores is the treasurer, and Richard Baer is the secretary. So that was the result of the votes. So was it Pat's Thursday or something? I can't this remember Thursday. It was, but... This Thursday, yeah. yes. Anyway, just to get that out for people who hadn't heard yet. Okay, so the first regular story here. Jim Brain of Retro Innovations posted on Facebook a link to a GitHub project he has done. And he, I'll quote him here. It's a 1980s TTL-based solution using SRAM for doing a two-meg board. And he said it's a bit more period correct with the older ones. So it's done a little bit differently than the Boys in Tech Cloud 9 current boards are. I was hoping he would be here to kind of explain the differences because I'm not a hardware guy, so I don't know. Okay. But uh, anyway, you can download the schematic and actually fiddle with it on your own here. Um, Paul Barton, since you're an expert on memory upgrades, do you have any clues as to the differences between this and the stuff that's been done by the others? Uh, I don't know anything about it. Okay. It's about the same as being. (laughs) You know, being static RAM, it doesn't need to be refreshed. You could power it from a battery. There's a lot of interesting things that SRAM can do. Actually, with battery, yeah. I mean, if you power up the Coco and you have a little watch battery or a 2032 or something like that in there that uh, keeps the yeah, RAM, you can make it into it. Yeah, that was, I had a memory cartridge for a Sega Saturn that did that. And I didn't know that it did that until the battery died because it was like how you saved all your games. And then one day the battery died and all my saved until games were gone. Yeah. And I'm like, wait a second, where's all my stuff? And then I, when I popped open the cartridge, which by the way, the screw was in the back underneath the label, I, <laughs> I popped it up and it was basically a RAM chip and a little watch battery inside this cartridge. I'm like, these sons of bitches. So I had to get a new battery for it. So, yeah. Well, I know somebody in the chat earlier mentioned that Atari did the uh, 8-bits in the basement. <clears throat> Atari did the exact same thing with the placement of the screws on their carts too. So that apparently was a common practice okay. in the 70s and 80s. I think it literally translated to "screw you." Yeah, so. yeah, it, it did. It did act as a tamper-resistant uh, method, which I understand. So anyway, like I said, next time we get uh, Jim on, we'll get him to explain. So it's this a, in it's more a detail, period. But... It's a period correct memory upgrade, but it's using static instead of dynamic. So what what we know about static RAM in general, right, is it's cooler. It takes up less energy too. Like all the new modern RAM upgrades are all SRAM. Um, 
So it's designed like the old stuff, but just using a better form of RAM, I guess, right? I don't know. Yeah, it's and cool, Scatagram was around back then, but it was hugely expensive. Right, 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 right. That looks cool. And very small. Right. In fact, uh, I think the 994A stuck a little bit of static RAM in as a cache system. And that was one reason why the thing cost so damn much and they couldn't make any money selling it. Hmm. So okay. send the 20K upgrade for the um, MC10. Is that static RAM? I doubt it. I probably still no, dynamic it's, RAM. It's, the, what, the MCX128? No. The. Oh, the 16K, the, tw the, the no, 20K upgrade. Well, yeah. the, the MC10 on the main board was static RAM. Well, I thought the upgrade, the... Um, the upgrade, I'm not sure pack. if that was... Uh, I was told that years ago. I don't believe it was, but... Okay, I don't know. I could be wrong. That I don't know. I think one other thing I wanted to mention after seeing the Darth Vader Coco is this has red and black, so it's ready-made to fit right in. Ooh, look at that, <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, yeah. Terry's gone now. Are we not going to see it this week, too? Hmm. Sorry, what? His um. We uh, saw his, it at the, at the beginning yeah. of the show. We saw the Darth Vader Coco. Oh, I must have been gone. Okay. Uh, okay. Go back to sleep, Ron. No, I was. <laughs> I went to pick up my dog. Oh yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. That, that's important. So we'll we'll definitely yeah. allow that. Yeah, come nice. on. Yep. Come on now. Absolutely. We'll just you come can on, catch man. it on the replay then, Ron. Yeah. Come on, good, man. Good stuff. Good stuff, Jim Brain. <laughs> All right. Yep. Next. On to the next one. So Chet, after finishing Digger 3 here, decided to go in a bit of an archival tear. So uh, last week we talked about how he was disassembling and he found some hidden code of the original assembler um, in his uh, Digger project of going through archives, kind of like what Rick did, you know, working by his uh, furnace. And now he's been kind of getting his skills back up into disassembly, so he decided to take on audio spectrum analyzer and comment the code. Wait a minute. Is this a problem with our friend? Um, Bjork. He's not selling it or anything, so I don't think so. And I do know a lot of people have praised <laughs> Steve's programming on this uh, because of some of the innovative ways he was dealing with it to actually get the analyzer to work. Um, so, so Chet's been going through anyway and, and kind of commenting it for modern stuff, or for modern assemblers with large labels, etc. Too. So it's a pretty interesting project, and it's something I'm quite familiar with too. I mean, Nitrous Nine was built on disassembling code, so. And a little side note that's not in the regular news, but I did notice Alan, uh, who's kind of you know in charge of the the microware uh, name and, and brand now, as apparently one of his ex old employees there actually found an old copy of the Basic Nine source code, the source code for Basic Nine itself, the language. Oh, neat! Um, it's an older version, so it may not be completely up to date. But I have asked, you know, could I get permission to at least take a look at it? Because there's parts of Basic Nine I don't have a clue what's going on. And uh, he said he's going to check into it legally with Ken Kaplan and a few others here. But That's if we can cool. get permission, it may not be able to be distributed because it's still, you know, IP for, you know, mm -hmm. the modern OSK and stuff. But he might let me have a private copy. So at least it'll speed up the disassembly of basically on that we can optimize it for the 639, et cetera. So. That's cool. That'd be huge. Um, Neat. Just on that audio spectrum analyzer, do you know if the uh, spectrum analyzer being a ROM cartridge, did that run at the high clock rate? to get better sampling of the audio coming I have coming no in. idea. That's a good question. Because that <laughs> no, would have been no reason it shouldn't have. No reason it shouldn't have. I mean... I know. I was wondering, was he aware of, of that feature? Um, where? Yeah, because this is one of his pack. earlier programs, too. So yeah, I don't know if so he would have been... I'm I just wondering to, to get... Sorry. I seem to recall... Sorry. I, I see him seem to recall Steve saying that uh, 
He didn't even use an assembler building that one? No, he hand-assembled this. All right, yeah. Which would be interesting because if this, um, if Chet's doing a, a full disassembly, it'd be good to get that code, modify it so that it does use high, the higher clock rate. It gets a more accurate spectrum uh, or uh, analyze. And be able to handle the higher frequencies too. Mm -hmm. And maybe yeah, you can even yeah. modify the program so that it also works on a Coco 3. Right. Oh, bingo. <clears throat> That's no. a good point. Yeah. Maybe that's why Chet picked it actually for the Coco Three part. I, 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 I didn't haven't even thought about the double speed ROM fit trick, but uh, yeah, because that's mm. one uh, program that would be good to run on a Coco Three, and it doesn't at the moment. Yeah. Mm. Agreed. Cool. Mm. All right. <laughs> Next up, Robert Sieg. Is that how you pronounce his last yeah, name? Yeah, I think so. Okay, he's been experimenting with doing uh, special customized palettes here to convert pictures with more colors down to the Coco level, and he did some couple of samples here. So this is one he did using a 16 color mode going to a gray and blue scale. And it actually did a pretty good job. Of course, the original, you know, massive color runs on the bottom and the top one is yeah. the uh, Coco 3 rendered one. But a pretty decent yeah, job. It's probably worth it. noting that Robert has been doing a lot of this in the MC10 space where he's been taking mm -hmm. images and dithering them to a very low resolution four color mode for the MC10 graphics mode. So he's yep. now uh, broadened his palette to um, do stuff on the Coco 3, and he's doing some really cool demos. I've been following this stuff. It is And this really is not neat. RGB. This is not RGB? No, the, yeah, this no. is composite, the 256 color fake mode, where you're actually using the artifacting that uh, comes built in composite. Okay, okay. So it's a 16 color screen, but using the artifact, you can okay, actually you can get, get more. mix of colors. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. In fact, he the MC10 one you were mentioning earlier, he did a picture of you, didn't he? Yeah. On MC10. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Was that the end of that project? <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say there's no accounting for people's tastes in art, yes. but, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and this one here, now the the picture on the right is the original 24-bit color one. The picture on the left is using the reduced color palette, but obviously that's not a cocoa resolution. So a little bit later on here, he actually posted one of an actual screenshot on the Coco, and I'll zoom it up here so you can see the artifacting. Not bad. Kind of kicking in here. You can kind of see the blurriness of the color. So this is definitely the composite shot, but it's definitely getting more than 16 colors, apparent colors. Yeah, yeah. Definitely looks better than the stock palette of Coco colors, too. There's more. Yeah. Yeah. And like like we've talked about before, the only commercial program I remember back in the day that really supported this, you know, quote-unquote 256 color mode, it's not really, but... It definitely gives you more apparent colors in 16 is uh graphic express from sundog which actually had a whole different version of the program that was specifically set up for this and it's I mean, available in the archive if you want to take a look at it and fiddle with that mode but you def you have to run on composite and ntsc composite i believe as well next one we get a two for here so and they're both in chat which is kind of cool too ac's 8-bit zone and 8-bits in the basement both decided yesterday to release videos on how to use drivewire um, so they go both in, in, in detail on how to set it up and how to load, uh, you know, the optim or the HDB DOS and stuff to be able to support it. Um, one of them is running it with a disk drive here. That's AC's 8-bit zone. He's got the real disk drive. So he shows you how to transfer files between the two, between the drive wire disk and the actual physical drives. Um, the other one actually is running on a cassette-based system. So he loads the ROMs in from cassette and doesn't have any disk control, not even a Coco SDC or anything in there. And then he uses DriveWire to load disk images and write to disk images and stuff too. And then he actually boots Nitrous 9 off of it. You're running remotely from a cassette-based Coco 2. So 
Um, it's, it's they're very interesting. They're very nice. They're they're like about 20, 30 minutes each. So they go into the explanation of how to set it up and how to make you know hook the cables. I up don't. And what I haven't used the Java version of DriveWire since forever. But I don't ever remember seeing one that had that GUI that showed the drives like that. I, maybe it's because I had used uh, DriveWire four for Java. I don't remember the GUI. It, it might be because both of them have the same interface and they're both running DriveWire three. Okay. This is yeah. an older one. Yeah, because I've never yeah, seen that GUI before with those those four drives. Yeah, like th this is before the uh, before the Java one. Okay. Uh, this may be in like Delphi or some language like that. Okay. I don't remember exactly. Yeah, yeah so I think this is the. Go ahead. The um, <clears throat> the newer, the DriveWire Max server that uh, Boise did more recently is modeled after uh, similarly to this one. Okay. So. This this is this is Boise's Boise's one. Okay. Who was it? Aaron. Wolf? Who did the drive wire for? Is that Aaron Wolf who did that? That's or? Aaron Wolf. Yeah. 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 And both have mentioned they were they're going to try drive wire four. They just okay, it's, next, it's a much more complex PC, thing. So they wanted to kind of get you'll want to ask them to try drive wire and make sure that it is detected. Well, I think they're both in the chat. So yeah, just mention it to me. Which in my maybe, case is shut the USB to the serial converter. If you want to shut out the URL to grab that. Michael, they can head over and grab it. Neat. Yeah, I've dabbled in DriveWire, and I like PyDriveWire now because it's fairly easy for me to understand. Um, but, yeah, the more we can get people to use this and understand this and promote it for other people to grab on. So I would I would preface this. DriveWire is a great tool. I think we'll all agree. Uh, and, and if you have the time to invest to learn how to do it and you've got the cables and the additional equipment to use it, it's a valuable resource. Now, some of the criticism that's happened is that we're – Somebody joins the Cocoa community saying, hey, I just got a Cocoa, or I'm getting ready to get a Cocoa. What do you recommend? And the go-to answer everybody throws out is get a Cocoa SDC. Um, and, and would you all agree that for the money and for the ease of use, that makes the most sense to get up and running using your Cocoa rather than having to learn the drive wire protocol and getting the cable and getting an extra computer and all those kind of things. It's more, it's more opinion and preference, but... Could we get a consensus on what's the, the easiest USB thing? The USB converter and the cable are cheaper than an SDC, but definitely uh, SDC is a lot more, you know, um, compatible for one. It's it's <laughs> more com more compatibility, and in some ways, it's more convenient. I the think always... is, like if if oh. I have to run graphics and I put high color on drive zero. I can put pictures on drive one, two, three, four, five, and switch right back and forth and not have to keep swapping disks. Like, you, you, well, you just can't do it in the SDC. It's not possible. Well, the, the SDC is good for running pre-done stuff. I want to run a bunch of games. SDC is the way to go. If you want to interface with the world, sure seems like DriveWire is a winner. Yep. I mean, yeah. the one other advantage of the SDC, of course, is that it's emulating the hardware with floppy controllers. So if you have copy protected disks or odd formats or something like that, it'll handle that, and that totally breaks DriveWire, no matter what version of DriveWire you're using. Yeah. But, but like, like Rick mentioned here, if you want to like access you know, the MIDI in your computer or the network on your computer, going through DriveWire is a hell of a lot easier than writing your own drivers to do it on. Right. So, so, so that's only on DriveWire uh, four, though, uh, Curtis. Yeah. No. I, I'd have yeah. both. My, uh, and Right on my shot on, on my on my camera view is uh, two Coco SDCs, so that's two votes for a 
Tokyo STC is from me. And the other thing is, too, Coco STC supports DriveWire. Right. It's not like you have to pick yeah, one so or the other. If you install the STC, drives. you can enable two DriveWire drives and go to town. Right. But if somebody owned, if, if somebody owned nothing and they were getting their first Coco and they were looking for the easiest way to hit the ground running and running SDC. software on their Coco. Um, T- tape drive. Tape drive? Okay. There we go. <laughs> yeah. So, so put your name belts. Sure. Just type it in. Right. So, yeah, I mean, again, it, it comes down to preference and it comes down to your skill set and, and your uh, logistics of what you have access to. Um, you know, a lot of people spew right from their phone using a wave file. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Cool them on cassette. Yeah, all you need for that is just a cassette cable and you're done. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm not I'm not trying to say one is better than the other. I'm not trying to. Um, make people choose a side. I was just, I just, I'm trying to, I guess, maybe defend the fact that a lot of times when we recommend the Costco SDC to somebody who's new, there's a reason. We're not saying DriveWire sucks. We're just saying if you've never done anything, this is probably a good way to hit the ground running. And then as you get, as you start using your Coco, you'll, you'll go down the paths that will take you to what interests you, you know? Yeah. I, yeah like like I for me, I recommend Coco SDC as being the easiest. Because it's also if you if you have a manual for disk basic, it pretty well follows exactly type thing. Um, DriveWire is more versatility, especially with DriveWire four, and it's also I think cheaper to implement depending on what you know hardware you're trying. Right, to like to what run. Mikey was saying. So USB to serial adapter for your computer is you can get one for ten to twenty dollars. You can get a DriveWire cable for ten to twenty dollars. So you're looking at on the high end maybe forty dollars. But then you have to set up DriveWire on your computer, know how to get DriveWire running on your Coco if you don't have it in a ROM chip. So there's a yeah. little bit of a barrier to entry, and not that it's an an impossible task to do, but again, if you're if you're casual to the Coco and you want plug and play, um, there it's 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 cost it'll cost less to implement DriveWire, but there's a few more technical things you got to set up on the yeah. front and back end of the of that cable. Yeah, right? ease so, of use favors uh, the Coco SDC cheapness. Right. And cost, cost and flexibility, driver. cost and flexibility, flexibility. Yeah, yeah favor DriveWire. Mm-hmm. And the ideally, you, S- you don't have to. You don't have to choose one, right? You can you can do both. So yeah, the Coco STC is just the logical replacement for a floppy drive. I mean, a lot of people had floppies back in the day. Right, right, right. So like when, logic- whenever somebody posts and like, say, "Hey, I just got a Coco," and I and what's the best place to get a floppy drive? My first thought in my head is, is well, why do you want one? If you don't have actual discs, <laughs> why do you even want the floppy? Unless you have a collection of physical discs that you need to get. Yeah. Why are you even asking about a floppy? The the cost and the yeah. shipping. You're gonna yeah. pay. You're gonna pay two hundred dollars for the 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 drive plus shipping and hope that it works. And so, the SDC um, reintroduces the concept of sneaker net. So you can go over to your buddy's house. He can download something for you, dump it on an SD card. You take it yeah, home. Yeah, yeah. You can get fancy with cocoa. the you can get fancy <laughs> with the wireless SD card. Yeah. Um, and the SDC, of course, emulates hard drives and floppies. I believe DriveWare kind of does the same thing. I'm not sure the extent of the hard drive part there. I know they use a partition hard drive like HDB DOS does. 256 virtual floppies on a single larger image. We've said DriveWire so many times. I'm hearing it in David Ladd's voice at this point now. Yeah, DriveWire, DriveWire, DriveWire. Get Before I show this watch, I think he's in chat. Besides a real-time clock, what would be something we'd want to upgrade the SDC with? More drives? Sound chip and real-time clock. Real-time clock, definitely. Real, more and, and, I, and I could live without that's the real time DriveWire actually, because yeah. the DriveWire will pull, and we'll show that in the second video here. Will pull the time off your PC, and update Nitrostein's clock based on the PC time automatically type thing. So that that's mm-hmm. a big plus for DriveWire. Now yeah. this I wanted to show here because for these people um, that use Toolshed, 
which is a set of utilities for both OS9 and Disk Basic disks for transferring files from your PC to a disk image or vice versa. Um, when he was doing the video here, he was fiddling around some basic programs. Now, I don't know if you guys can see it on the screen here, but he saved a program that just had a 10 print I'm game number three. Yeah. And all of a sudden it shows up with zero print I'm game number three when he lists it. But if you tried to edit that line or delete it, it says it's an undefined line error. Hmm. Some type of tokenization it, challenge in the... Uh... Yeah, I was wondering if it's tokenization. Like, I know one thing I've hit with the OS 9 version of those utilities is that um, if I write a basic 9 program, for example, and I don't hit the carriage return on the last line, that mm. last line will not load or show up. Ah. Even though it looks like it's there, you can even dump the file and it's there, but it won't load it as part of you know the basic 9 program. So I don't know if that's related to that or if this is tokenization purely, or has anybody else hit this problem? Because he was asking for some help on it uh, on, at the end of the video here. I do think it's a uh, line ending issue. Because nope. uh, the the pretty sure the Cocos tokenizer only uh, understands carriage return, and Windows is going to put a line feed there. Yeah, carriage return and a line feed. So, or, and Unix Linux would put just a line feed too, wouldn't it normally? Uh yeah. Mm. Okay, so it might just be there is a there's. But an if option, he did it, if he did endings. it, if he did it from the Cocoa itself. Right, he typed it in on the Cocoa, and he said, "No, this it on was the... coming from editing on the PC because he was oh, showing how you can okay. gotcha. do the import." So uh, that makes okay. sense. Then. But Stevie, to go along with you, yes, you can save it ASCII. Okay. I don't know if that's exactly what your question was. Well, no, you I just can, thought, I, you can I just save if... it ASCII from the Cocoa. Well, I was thinking if this originated on the Cocoa, the whole CRLF no. thing would not be a valid right. Uh, right. argument. But no, okay. Yeah. He... And, the, and the disk basic utility and the old sign utilities do have a, a dash option. I think it's dash R to force the line ending changes between the host and the destination. So we will add the line feed if you're pulling off a Cocoa disk image onto the PC and it will take it out if you're putting it onto the actual disk image itself from the PC. And I'm looking at his command line here. He didn't do that in this particular case. So that might be very well the issue. Oh, David Ladd saying if you have a blank line at, at, at in front, meaning maybe before the text, I'm not sure what david means by that but um okay interesting question maybe we'll get the answer okay, okay. and then we'll go to the second drivewire video here drivewire drivewire <laughs> ttl so i did not see rs two three two. so you'll notice drivewire 3 again with the same interface uh, yeah there but this one here he actually he loads HTTP like you notice he doesn't even have anything in the cartridge slot on his coco 2 at all so he loads it off a cassette off his pc from a wav file he loads in the HTTP dos for the coco 1 and 2 and then he actually launched Nitrous 9 and it actually boots up, you know, Nitrous 9 level one. That's what it's doing here. Perfectly fine over Drivewire. So. And, and here he also yeah, shows that the actual time is getting yanked from his yeah, PC. Yeah, and you can even see the text yeah, scrolling there in the window too, the raw output of that in the Drivewire server window. And you can see that the time is October 18th, 2020 at 11.46 in the morning, which is exactly when he ran this test. So that's one advantage of Drivewire over the SDC. Yeah, it has real time clock. Real time clock. But you have to have that set up in your OS 9, don't you? No. Yeah. You have yeah. to have the uh, the driver. DriveWire uh, Clock yeah. 2 module, yes. Yeah. yeah, so how many people can do that on their own? That's I a could... simple two-step process. For you, uh, oh, right. Yeah. You Plus, there's the pre-built ones on the GitHub that actually have that already in there. You just say, I want the one with the real-time clock, and away you go. For, oh. for, for Nitrous 9, the DriveWire builds have all this stuff built in. This does not EOU still still does not completely support DriveWire, so that's why it's not there. When they finally do, the module it will should be, there. be built in. Yeah, it'll be built into a. Now, in this case, this is level one, so this isn't have nothing to do with EV use whatsoever. Right. No okay. Use for level yep. one. So, 
But the fact, but the fact he did all of this over the cable does show the power. You don't know the power of the drive. Yeah, and he's wire, got no coco SEC, right? no floppy yeah. drive, nothing. It's yeah, just a so cassette you, you cable can, on the drive wire cable. You can load a drive wire enabled DOS over a drive wire, and then once you execute that, now your computer is running a drive wire client on your coco, and then you can do everything DriveWire does from there. The, the The biggest hurdle is getting DriveWire running on your actual Cocoa, and there's a, there's a number of ways to do that. You can have a custom ROM in your floppy controller. You can have the Cocoa SDC. There's been a lot of people doing it different ways. Some people, have, like David Ladd's done one with the RS-232 pack. There we go, TATL, RS-232, DriveWire, <laughs> right? So yeah. he's actually he's it's actually put he's actually put one of those in the RS-232 cartridge where it's got like, a, what is it, HBD DOS or which was yeah. the one? Yeah. And so there's, a, there's a, a lot of different ways you can go to get the DriveWire client on your Coco, depending on your skill set and your, what you have available to you. Yep. And once your Coco speaks DriveWire, boom, you just load software over the cable like he's showing here with Nitrous 9. Yep. In this case here, he just used the cassette OS cable 9. to load in yeah. the OS 9 level. Oh, just the actual cassette cable itself. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because that cable to load the web of HDB DOS for whatever go. version of Cocoa yeah. you have, and then everything else is over the serial bitbanger port for the uh, driveware itself. Is HDB DOS uh, the the builder for that? Um, definitely builds a image which can be burned onto a ROM. It has a cassette wave file and it has a bin file that you can load. So it it builds all of those. Those are all available for all the you know uh, Cocoa One, Cocoa Two, Cocoa Three, etc. So they're all there. It, it supports all of that. Yeah. Now, I have a question for you, Mike, because obviously you're much more familiar with DriveWire 4 than I am. Um, the SDC support for DriveWire that's built in ROM, you can switch a couple of the drives to be DriveWire drives versus the uh, the emulated you know, drives off the SD card. Um, how much of DriveWire 4 support is in there? Like, does that support the virtual windows and accessing the MIDI and all that other stuff? Or is it basically the DriveWire 3 protocols? HDB DOS has no support for any of that. The only operating systems that that support the DriveWire 4 features are uh, Nitros 9 and uh, Fuzix. So uh, if you're just doing basic disk I.O., reading and writing to disk images, mm -hmm. that's DriveWire 3 level support. Uh, the If you're talking about the Windows, if you're talking about Serial, if you're talking about um, you know uh, MIDI and printing and that stuff, that's all DriveWire 4, and you need, and basically the HTTP DOS ROM has no room for any of that stuff. It's pretty full. So yeah. the Coco SDC is supporting just the disk access piece. It should be just DriveWire 3 level. Okay. Yeah, because the, the DriveWire stuff, I mean, Bill's starting to already work on that for ease of use to make sure we can get it all yeah, up and running so smoothly. Yeah, so you can, yeah. you know, you can uh, um, get it all the fit and etc. Or no, wire. the issue is the, the split in between the um, yeah. The DriveWire, the new asparagus, Stephen? The DriveWire. DriveWire. Hey, who does this guy look like? Doesn't he look Thank like you. the guy yes, with the long... Too kind. Oh. He, looks a little bit, he looks a little bit like Henry Reitveld with the side chops there, and he also looks a little bit like Wolverine. Wolverine, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I just wasn't going to say anything. In the chat. Play yeah. a little bit more. It looks just like him. Yeah. We had him on the show actually when he was showing off his uh, CCAM, yeah, pal Coco. Ah, so. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I so missed that, that one. Yeah. Can I nominate this for the most capable cassette program I've ever seen for the Coco? Uh, dry, with the DriveWire loader. Right. Just 
you load a cassette and here you are. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I'll second that. (laughs) I'll second that, Rick. Yeah, because basically if you can pick up a Coco 264K with a cassette cable and then get a drive wire cable made, you know, you can get those fairly cheap on eBay still on like Coco 3s and then you can actually, you know, fully launch Nitrous 9 and actually run a quote-unquote real app. Yeah, Yeah, uh, on my to-do list is to start, like I've I've put my toe in the waters of of Pi Drive Wire and getting a few things running on Coco 2 and 3s. I really want to play around with the MC server, so I need to get back to that. Um, yeah. So he just commented in, in the in the chat. He said, "I had shaved for the show." <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for my Coco Two Gimme X from uh, Coco Two Gimme X. Snyder. Oh, a special one, yeah. huh? You gonna I'm get excited. a custom keyboard on that too? With the oh, sure. Is you gonna He's have a picture sure. of Ron with his beard, his Serpico Ron on the brake uh, key or something? Yeah. So that's right. Actually, one thing I'm wondering <laughs> is with the Gimme X at three megahertz, what kind of speeds can you run DriveWire for at? Blister. Is, that, is that fast enough to do 234? Well, we're going to probably have to start insulating cables because the data is going to be moving so fast it's going to generate heat and it'll probably start melting the PVC sheathing on it. So we need shielded, insulated <laughs> drive wire cables at this point. We're, we're going to need water-cooled drive wire. Water-cooled <laughs> <laughs> uh, So, Curtis, if you want an answer, I can uh, explain. Yeah, go for it. You, uh, you, you asked if the... Um, the quadruple speed that's oh, triple speed it's, it's three in... megahertz 2.86 mm-hmm. yeah it's 2.86 megahertz basically so they actually so there actually is sort of support for 230k even even with the standard uh, double speed um but the the way that the data is sent over the serial port is different than standard drive wire like they send the bits in a different order and it's it's kind of you know, different different signaling than the standard one. So, yes, you can't if you're using the bit banger. Uh, if you change the clock speed, obviously it'll it'll run faster. Um, you didn't you didn't say it was quadruple speed exactly. You said two point something. Yes, yeah, two point eight six. It's basically triple speed, roughly. It's a little bit it's more tri- than it's triple, triple speed. Bit. Yeah. So now, would the actual you know the the PIAs that are controlling the bit banger run it at two thirty four reliably? Do you think? Paul mm, Barton's got a, a RS two thirty two that he's been messing with. That's fast. That's a good. That's a good question. Um, I know. I'm halfway certain they have B versions of some of the PAAs. Uh, that yeah, the Coco three is all B versions actually. They're they're two megahertz rated. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It it that's gonna that's gonna depend on Motorola's yield for actually creating the silicon. Um, and also uh, how good their design is, right? If their yeah. if their design has certain, you know, they've designed it a certain way, it may not be able to actually operate that fast. I, I, so are we going to have trouble with the Gimme X in the future popping processors because of the speed? <laughs> oh, no, if you put it in a, the 6309C, it's rated for 3 megahertz, so it has no problem at all. No. That's just fine. That's what the chip was designed for. That yeah, is correct. So I, I think the answer is it'll it'll probably work, but it may it may not be a hundred you know it may not be one hundred percent on every single machine. So you oh. heard it here you heard it here first. That's a definite maybe. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so these three megahertz chips are they going to run hotter? No, yeah. there there's 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 CMOS, so they actually run cooler than the original six and nine to do it two megahertz. Yep, it'll be cooler than. Then the uh, NMOS or PMOS, I forget 
uh, regular yeah, in Moss 6809, in, but yeah. um, it'll be a little bit warmer. I don't know if you could tell. From what I've been running it here, because I run mine in three megahertz all the time there, it's 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 not that noticeable at all. You can put your finger on the processor and it's not even hot. No, it's, it's warm, warm, just like you know. It's but it's it's nowhere near what the six eight zero nine would have been running. You in. won't blister yourself on it. Yeah, I can't I've cook eggs the, on it. Put it that way. I've run the sixty three Bs at five megahertz. And wow! They fine. Wow! Yeah. Hmm. That's some serious but for, speed. But for right how there, long? Right? <laughs> there, there were some people that actually sold boards with the uh, 63C09s, which are officially rated for three at four or five, as a sold commercial product. Well, wait a minute. Japan. Some of these, some of these uh, computer, or, you know, uh, game machines uh, would do four and five megahertz all the time, right? The, you know, you know, the games you play in an arcade. Uh, not with 6809s or 6309. No, 6309s. Um, at four were there some that did four or five? I can't remember. Yeah. Could be. But yeah, no, it runs fine. I mean, I, my all my Nitrostein development on my native Cocoa 3 here is done on the Gimme X at 3 megahertz. I don't kick it down except to boot up DOS games or something. Cool <laughs> stuff. Yeah, we need more DriveWire videos out there. More people yeah. messing around. And DriveWire. these are good because these are both beginners using it who've never used yes. DriveWire before. Yeah. So they go through the whole process of how do you set it up and they mm -hmm. approach it different, you know, different angles. One has a disk drive. They're trying to get their stuff copied back and forth between them. They've got old disks they want to restore. The other one wanted to be able to run a disk game that he couldn't run because he doesn't have a disk drive. Then he just downloaded and set it up. So just two different Chris approaches for two different purposes, showing the same software, and it works great on both. So that was good. Just think of uh, Christopher Mayu that did the uh, that series, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, the cable he, he, access He had show. no clue about, uh, we didn't have dry wire back then. No. no. But the fact that there's so many how-to videos going on out now, it was, it's so cool. Yeah, absolutely. And this is kind of like the, you know, the after effect of Septandi. I mean, both of those two did not really do any cool stuff before Septandi really started. Maybe a little bit, but... Um, or way in the past, so now they're catching up on all the stuff we've been doing the last twenty years, and that's it's, it's another uh, feather in the cap for Septandi that it's you know caused these videos would probably not have shown up at all if it hadn't been for that. So yeah. it was a very successful event. And, you see, and the, you see the name of that monitor? Have you ever heard of that before? Le Pau. <laughs> that's French for the Pau. Um, uh, and I would just say too, for anybody who's familiar with my YouTube channel as well, um, I have a video on there that's called an idiot's guide to Pi drive wire because I had to learn how to use it too. And I had never, even though I knew that it existed, I had next to no experience in using it too. So I've done my own kind of introduction, um, video on there too. You can find that on my channel. If you're watching this show now, you're technically already on my channel. Just, just look for it. Um, All of this goes into that vault. I was talking well, about yes and i don't i don't normally do this but i'm going to do a very shameful plug if you need a pre pre-made drive wire cable i do i do make those i call it a crazy cable now does it include a toggle switch by any chance no it doesn't have a toggle switch but it has an australian sounding name <laughs> so if you need a drive wire <laughs> cable jason the coco man record at coco man dot biz is it rated for left. 10 megahertz is it 10 megahertz? Just, just, I, just ice it down a little bit first. <laughs> you just liquid cool it and it works fine. Yeah, you put it in the freezer overnight, and that way right. it's, uh, yeah. it's been pre I, I do it a bit differently. I accidentally dump ice cream on it, but that seems to work the same. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, cool stuff. Cool stuff. Let's keep the news going. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I forgot about your video, Stevie, because you did one on DriveWire, too. And, I mean, I'm even further behind than you. I don't use DriveWire here because I don't have my Cocoa anywhere near my yeah. 
my desktop. So. Yeah, so when I called that one an idiot's guide, it's not a metaphor. It's literal. <laughs> you need, uh, <laughs> Chris, you need drive wireless. Drive wireless. Yeah, the, the, the Wi-Fi version of it. Jason's uh, drive wire line goes uh, 70 feet, so. Wow. Uh, really? No, uh, I, ha I have I, I have a 6 foot and a 10 foot, or a Two meter or three meter. I must have heard it a little bit wrong. Yeah, I, yeah. I, maybe you got the metric conversion wrong. <laughs> maybe. How many this kilograms in that cable? Is three point five centimeters. I mean millimeters. Oops. How long could you really go though before you'd have a problem? You know. I think like twenty five feet or something. I wouldn't go. I mean. Yeah, I wouldn't go beyond uh, Albuquerque. The, high, the higher the speed, <laughs> running over yeah, it, the shorter the cable is dependent needs to on be. the length. Yeah. 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 You, uh, the electrical loss. Over, over, we, we found that at work when we ran serial cables for all of our terminals on that mega coco system we Bill and I have talked about. Because we had some going across the entire plant, which literally were like, like 200 feet, but we had to drop the baud rate down to no higher than. Yeah, I've seen I've cord. seen people use like silver satin that phone cord, which is a four wire cord, and then just adapt both ends of that to uh, like a DB9 and and have that run longer lengths and stuff too. Back in the day. Um, but every cable has a spec on how what the minimum and maximum lengths are going to be, and it has to do with attenuation. How far can the signal travel through the circuit before the resistance just drops it out to where it's no longer viable? And and what uh, because I deal in, in home automation and a lot of people who run different types of wires. What people don't understand, like when you when you run some wires for phone, like analog phones, it's just voltage, and it's not as the, the, the threshold tolerance aren't as important as like data wires are, for example. And when you're running like wires for alarm contacts and, and things like that, that's just reading continuity on the wire. So you can bend the rules and how long you can run it and have it still work. But when it comes to certain things that are dealing with data, you have to stay within the spec. And the spec was designed for a reason, because if you try to push that signal further than the properties of the cable allow, then you're losing the quality of the data. And that just affects everything, reliability, speed, performance, and so um, it's it's best to not try to stretch the limits on data cables. Oh, Steve, yeah. Steve, how about um, USB cables? Are they in the same vein? Uh, well, again, worse. they they make they those have a maximum length specified, and then you can put oh, repeaters in between them. Meters. Yeah, about and that same meters. thing with network. Like a network data cable is not supposed to be more than a hundred meters. And so, if you need to run a piece of yeah. copper more than three hundred and thirty some odd feet, you got to put an active repeater in the middle of that to regenerate the signal to keep the spec going. And so, if you needed to run a super long USB cable, you could put active hubs in between as like repeaters for the signal. Uh, you could potentially do that. I would, I would think. Yeah, we would keep reboosting the signal at, before yeah, it degrades yeah, too far. But when it comes yeah. to when it comes to data, you got to stay within spec. You, you, when you so stretch, that's, the that's spec. one of the reasons the really high speed networks use fiber optics because that's light and that doesn't yeah. degrade oh, that, as much as. Yep. yep. Yeah, you're, you're going to so lose you could, that. You're going to lose that signal uh, the longer the the copper is. Yeah. Just like anyone who has dealt with DSL service or any. Yeah, the you know, further the further away you are from the central office, the worse your internet reliability and speeds are. Right. right? And so. the, the, yeah, the closer you are to the central office, the the higher speeds it'll be available to you. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And so if you follow the Amiga's been... channel, basically, I think their their cabling there for their internet service provider probably wraps around the world three or four times before it comes <laughs> back to their house because <laughs> uh, just of all the problems they've been having lately. So, mm -hmm. well, isn't it true? If I bought a ten foot cable from. Uh, Jason and uh, I had a ten foot extension on my USB. It's twenty feet, and it'd still be okay. Yeah, probably because they're both probably. within spec. Yeah. USB is within its spec, and the serial's within its spec too. So yeah. 
So you can go 20 feet. I think My you can go up to 25 feet on a normal serial cable anyways. So Okay. Thanks. And also, like yeah. I said, it depends on the speed. If you're trying to max out the USB at USB 3 speeds, maybe not. I don't know. Serial is never Serial is never going to go past USB yeah. 1 or 2 speeds. So right. yeah. Oh, no, serial. No, serial. You're right. Yeah, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about the USB thing. So. But the serial link, you're going at uh, Bitbanger, right? So it's like a 5-volt swing instead of 12 volts. <laughs> and uh, Aaron's, Aaron refers to his as the hillbilly ISP. <laughs> yeah, he says hillbilly ISP sucks. <laughs> Y'all going to get your internet when we damn well feel like getting it to you. You hear? Well, we're going to say that. <laughs> At least they have internet. Well, it's yeah. internet, but it's it, they have to come out and wax the string every so often. <laughs> when somebody drove over the can one time, it was terrible. Put, yeah. What hey, were you going to say, Pat? Yeah, go ahead, Rick. <laughs> oh, I was just saying that the Bitbanger port's only got about a 5-volt swing on the RS-232, so you're already really batting about 300. Um, whereas uh, 1488 does 12 volts plus minus. So when, you, when you're only starting off on five volts, it's only, it's only going to go so far before it's on. I thought it was like eight. Yeah. Well, it starts out at eight or something. It starts out at eight, but you get five volts on the cable. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you're coming in that, a little hot, Rick. You're coming a little, little yeah, you're kind of distorting it right there. there. Well, it's the only way you can get in here. Right. Well, but yeah. So, Ron, you sh Ron, you should be good for twenty-five foot cable, regardless. Okay. If that's well, what I don't you need wanted it. I just asked. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. I do use it uh, with my telescope because I'm far away with my laptop, and that's USB. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I will mention too, like our work super system with the two three hundred foot cables. That was all using our two thirty two pack hardware. That wasn't using the bit banger whatsoever. We totally ditch the bit banger so yeah and yeah, there you no, have I've... the real you have the real uh 1488 1489 yeah. real real deal serial driver so uh that like, helps like out. rick was mentioning drive it. Wire. Yep. Drive wire. yeah and with the big beefy two, cable GTL. i used oh, to have one of those things up. i used to have one of those orange reels that you crank up uh ac cords on oh yeah yeah the, yeah yeah the, like a 50 foot RS-232 cable on it that I used for various functions. <laughs> it worked just fine. Yeah, you could use but that lamp was, wire too. But that was with the 14. It was a big old honky cable. I mean, it was an RS-232 cable the size of your little finger. What'd you call so me? So the 50 foot. The noise collision is getting a little crazy here right now. I think we should call asparagus on this yeah, one. Yeah, all right. We're going to move yeah. on. We're moving on. But this was great. This Where's was, my this mute was, button? This was informative. Oh, yes, we need to we need to mute yeah. these debating parties now at this point. All right. Next video. Okay, go ahead, Curtis. Back to the news. Yeah. Next, next one up here, uh, Wagner's Tech Talk, which is, I don't think, a channel I've seen before. But uh, he did a YouTube video on hooking up various retro consoles to modern HDMI TV monitors. And he went through the TN9N4A, ColecoVision, the Tari 2600, and the Coco 2. Now, as he's noticed, as a lot of us have noticed, the... Uh, RF slash composite on the Coco isn't really up to spec as much as some of the other ones. So you got some really clear, you know, pictures and, and screen images here from doing some of these other machines um, using these various, you know, we did a couple different boxes just going through type thing. So this is a generic RF to uh, SCART? Yeah, and he has a couple different ones. He goes a couple different methods to do it. But okay. I mean, if you take a look, like here's an Atari 2600 game. Okay. It's one of the Activision games. It looks nice and crystal clear. Yeah, yeah. But when he or when he switches over to the ColecoVision, it looks clear. But when he gets over to um, the Coco, it looks a little bit washed out here. To the TRS-80 Coco Le Pal. 2. 
and we're going to play. That's not terrible. Galaxy. It's not terrible, but I mean, it doesn't look as good as the other ones. Yeah, you I mean, can. What, is he pulling us off of RF though? Too. Quality on this particular. He might have. Yeah. Didn't look He's got the yellow bar of death on the end. Yeah. Atari twenty six hundred. Yeah. So that requires a replacement, doesn't it, or a cap replacement or something? Yeah. In my opinion. Uh, but I didn't own this machine back in the day, so I really have nothing to compare it to. But it definitely doesn't look as good as the other. The other no, the the, uh, the, comp the artifacting looks a little oversaturated. And that's terrible. Did it ever bad. look better through a VHS machine or no? Well, that yellow bar, if I remember, that means there's a problem in the Coco hardware, and it's a fairly simple fix. When I remember, do you guys remember the hardware guys? What the fix was for that? No, nope. you're muted, Jason. I thought the oversaturation was helped um, if they go through the. I think VCR. that yellow, that yellow bar has to do. It could be several different things. Uh, I think uh, one of the things just off the top of my head, like the five 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 timer, and possibly something else. I don't remember completely off the top of my head. Because I don't know. I do know some people had done some quick little hardware fix and then fixed that problem. Um, yeah. and, and there might be other issues, like you mentioned, other ways to cause the problem, but. And I can't remember if it was a chip or if it was caps. Okay. Or what well, a chip would be a five-five. That would be the five-five-five timer. Okay. Uh, and there could be just a cap fix. I think it could be a couple different things. That would probably be a better question for like uh, Richard or uh, yeah Zipster. Okay. Yeah, we've seen it posted before, and it's probably somewhere deep in the hardware channel on Discord about what the how to fix the yellow bar thing. Well, well you um, also have two channels to choose from, and sometimes they're different. Three or four. That's true too. But yeah, the RF out, even on, even on the best of circumstances, it's not the best way to go, but that's all you have on a stock Coco too. Um, yeah. and, and so... Well, you can tap into the composite signal off the VDG, if I remember correctly, if you wire it up properly. Like, you don't have to add too much extra hardware to get composite working, but... Okay. Death, death clip. Manny in the chat or... says the 555 chip might help. The, the yellow, the, bar, the thing, yellow yeah. bar thing, yeah. Anyway, that was a new channel to me, and he obviously he's got a Coco SDC too. So, yeah. Um, there you go. Hopefully, cool. he'll uh, get some uh, pings off on his page on this. And if you guys want to comment on possible fixes for his, uh, you know, the fuzziness of the video on the Coco specifically on his, please feel free to do so. Far out, man. Next up, this is actually happening tonight. This is the Trash Eighty Talk Live. They've invited publicly on Facebook to try to get some Coco people in here. It's at 7 p.m. Central time, so that's what's that compared to Eastern? Is that two hours before you, Stevie? Central is uh, eight o'clock. That 8 would be eight o'clock Florida time. Two hour difference. Is it one. One? just one? One hour difference. Okay, so I'm not good at math. Okay, it's two, no, that's it's Chicago two hours time. For, us, for us on the east, west coast. And would that be an ink A or a deck A? That would be an ink A, right? So, at A one, I think. At A one. No, okay. No, right, depends so. if we want to sign sign time okay. or not. Anyway, it's usually a pretty good show. I don't know I, if you had to request to get actually on it. They will be doing YouTube chat, I think, if, if any indications from the previous live shows have been. So that's on tonight. Um, if I have some time, I might see if I can pop in, too. I didn't get a chance to respond. I've been kind of busy this week. but uh, And I, like I said, they were requesting Coco people to show up. They are going to be showing off, um, that was it, I think, a speech sound card of some sort for the Model 1 and 3s. Interesting. Yeah, the oh. Talker 80 voice synthesizer, yeah. amongst other things, will be discussed. I have not and listened to a lot of their shows, but they've always had a very well put
put together show that even starting out of the box these guys had a really good podcast it just moves very well so this is on facebook uh but the stream i'm not sure if the live with the live stream is gonna be no it's gonna be on youtube there's the link there the online event channels listed on the screen so you can watch the stream on youtube but how you join the stream i'm not sure i don't know if they're gonna be doing blue jeans or facebook live or i'm not sure what the video platform they're gonna be nick marantes do you remember because we were on it last time i think can you click on where it says see more under there curtis under details and maybe it'll say what the link is details towards the bottom see more up up oh, right, to there. right yeah right Sorry. there no it doesn't say here okay so we're not sure how to join but yeah, it's you... got the online event for the youtube channel but that's, okay. that's it there so. so perhaps just go to their page and, and send them a request to join yeah and stevie's posted the url to this here so you can well technically i'm not doing that mark overholzer is but oh, yes mark is yes but yes um yes cool 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 yeah so i i like their show i had i have i don't i don't have a lot of time to listen to a lot of stuff but i have listened to a handful of their episodes and i really do enjoy their format and we I've, we've met the guys for those who have been to tandy assembly there's uh some one of them's nick's neighbor ian ian maverick the mav he's the he's like the australian ed snyder when it comes to the trs 80 world makes all kinds of cool stuff yep. and he so. does some cocoa hardware too yeah so. yeah reproduction stuff for the cocoa he makes disc controllers and rs-232 ttl drive wire drive wire um <laughs> so yeah cool stuff so check it out watch it yep, if you can and, and, and join if you can too Yep, cool. it's always a good show, and it's it's not very often they don't do like a weekly show like us. I think they do it once every two or three months yeah. for a live show. For like a live, this, so. right now, the other thing I would mention too is that when 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 I did the segment of who was new to Discord this week, one of the guys was Arno Arno Pewter, or Pewter. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. So Arno, I met him at the first Tandy Assembly. He 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 is created with the Tris IO, which is a way to interface the TRS80 systems to networking with each other. And he did a project at the first Tandy Assembly where he had like a TRS-80 app store where there was an emulator you could run. And then from within the emulator, you could download certain games and run TRS-80 games like on your mobile device. So Arno has done some really cool stuff in the TRS-80 Model 1 and 3 space. And he's recently joined our Discord server to learn more about the Coco. So say hi to Arno out there. He's he's definitely involved with the Trash Talker guys, too. Cool. So, yeah. Like I said, I'll, I'll see if I can. I'd like maybe you have to request and say you're interested in going, and maybe they'll send you an email or something. I'm not sure how that if works. If you mention Nick Morota, you get half off. So yeah, <laughs> offer code Nick Morota for fifty percent off. You, you get half you off, off, or you get kicked halfway off the, during the show. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, if you mention Stevie Strobridge, you yeah, get, forget uh, it. You get charged listed. double. Yeah, <laughs> you, you get banned for life. You can't even download their podcast right. after that point. I'll throw in buzzard bait at this point. Buzzard bait. <laughs> Use offer code buzzard bait. Yeah. Buzzard bait. So next up is a pretty interesting survey poll question. <clears throat> I have no idea how to pronounce this guy's name. I'm going to take a shot at Stevie. Uh, sure. Uh, Zeox. <laughs> <laughs> Zeox Gomazoa. Zeox Gomazoa. I some papers on a Zeox yes, one yes. time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can just call him Ditto for short. <laughs> He's a twin. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Anyway, what he did is he's, he's has a survey of all the different ways you cocoa or cocoa family related here. So which ones do you have and use? <clears throat> so it covers the hardware, cocoa three, cocoa two, cocoa one. Do you do an emulation, MC10, a Prologica, cocoa pie, a dragon, cocoa three FPGA, and he keeps going down the list. And of course, you're supposed to check everything that applies to you. And I remember Alan Huffman made a comment on here. He says, wow, I got to click a lot more boxes than I thought I was going to be able to goes down to like the matchbox there's some stuff i've never heard of like the uh, lz color 64 which i'm assuming actually would be the lz because i'm assuming it's south america 
Um, I do get to click or click on the TC9 Tomcat, as you can see here too. But uh, repack Cocoa Three, like Paul, and you'll put it into a you know a tower case, etc. So yep. for those of you who not participated in this poll, do please uh, don't add in any of the ones that you actually use or have, and we'll kind of get a good feel for the community here. And I mean, some of the top ones already, you know, coming up on 200 people that have these. So yeah. one thing that surprised me is that they're actually uh, currently there's one more Cocoa Three than there is actually Cocoa Twos, which given the cost of Cocoa Threes these days and the fact that there wasn't as many sold, I found that kind of surprising. Mind you, if you have the Cocoa One and Two together, it's more than the Cocoa Three, but. Very interesting. Okay. Please partake in the poll. You don't have a Cocoa Two? Is there early no. voting for this, by the way, or do I have to wait till November 3rd? I think you can mail in your vote. Oh, okay, yeah. excellent, excellent. Yeah. <laughs> just make sure you put it in January, I think, mm -hmm. is what I heard. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, yeah you got to put the envelope <laughs> inside the other envelope. It doesn't count. <laughs> Polly chicks, Polly chicks, blood sucking leeches. <laughs> Chad Edward, Nick Moranti's neighbor, Karaki. Yeah, oh. so he got a, in possession a cocoa here, a cocoa three in specific, and it's got this thing carved out on the side with some screws, but the cable or whatever was on there was missing. Some type of DIN connector, I would imagine. I think that's the exactly. opening for the Becker port, if I'm not yes, mistaken. Yes, there you go. Well, there's been conflicting reports on that, actually. Um, with the flux capacitor. It yeah. could be where they passed the port from the back to the front, or just a pass-through, like you did in a, like a, you know, a male-to-female extension no, to move something up front. IBM keyboard. Oh, the, yep. the ATXT keyboard adapter. That, huh? That's what Bill oh. Pierce said, because he actually has one of these, and he actually okay. showed his picture of his setup back in the day. And you okay. can see the connector on the side, and that plugs into the Eagle mm -hmm. keyboard, because that was a package setup duo. Okay. It's where the water cooling came out. <laughs> 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 And if I remember correctly, Chris Hawks of Hawksoft usually has one of these set up at the fest, okay. doesn't he? Yeah, well, he's been using the, the Cocoa Pi Raspberry Pi thing for a while. I'm not sure. I don't I haven't seen this mm. recently. Yeah, I guess I it has a, been a few years since he's brought I see this a one. Black I think he has one of these where two. the old Cocoa keyboard was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And but it look, gave you basically a PC keyboard. You had you know, redefinable keys and macros and stuff that you could pre-program on it using software. Yep. So you could actually hit a key and get a whole sequence of stuff coming out. Paul, do you have one of these in your, your, your repack or...? Um, yes, it came from Roger Taylor. I've, every once in a while it dies, but uh, so I have to turn it off and turn it back on. Neat. Just so, see a yeah. mic with a door in it and a badge. Yeah, the only thing, you know, what, what, the, what, what most Cocoa setups need are things that consume even more tabletop space, right? It's not that you, <laughs> the Cocoa and the MPI and the monitor and the four floppies don't take up enough room. Now let's put another 12 inches right. of keyboard in front of all that crap, too. Well, he's following your manager there because he's got the biggest, largest multi-pack you could possibly It looks like there's buy. a hard drive behind wow. all that, too, in the, in the and metal And you wonder case. if that multi-pack's upgraded. Yeah, right, with the PAL chip? Probably not. Yeah, is a PAL And I like guy. the fact he has four drives. He has two. Yeah, four drives. Five and a quarters and two three and a halves. So that's awesome. Yeah, what's the box yeah. in the back? That's a hard drive, probably. Yeah, because he's got a Birkin Birkin well, controller yeah. plugged in there. So. Yeah. 20 megs. in the backpack. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that black thing back yeah. there? Yeah, that that is that's uh, the other chair. That's reinforced steel to hold all this shit up. Right? Yeah. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's the other chair. The twenty meg hard drive back yeah. there. Like yeah, that could be another chair behind the table. Yeah. No, I was breaking breaking. It was a lot cheaper than that. They would have been like about you know five six hundred bucks for the whole thing. That was the big thing about the breaking yeah, being way those, cheaper um, than the bales. Those little auxiliary, okay. those uh, component switch stands. That was the that was the bee's knees back in the day, right? Where you could turn things on and off. Right, you had like your mon your computer, your monitor, your printer, your auxiliary, those little light up toggle switches there. 
Yeah. You can also see it. toggle switches. You can also see in his multi pack there, he's got the original uh, Glenside uh, MIDI pack, I think. Or is that actually. The oh, because it's got the two MIDI ports on the side there, the MIDI in and out. Yeah. yeah. And it's a full size disc controller case, not the. Yeah. The retro innovations, which is actually you know the size of a regular cartridge. A couple of double A batteries there, just in case, you know. So. <laughs> you think the lights dim when he turns that? Yeah, on. probably. Yes, I'm sure that. Jim the, Brain uh... says he has returned. All right. Ah, too late, Jim. Too bad. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Jim, who? <laughs> <laughs> is this where I'm supposed to go, Zeke Heil, because he's president? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you um... feel free to join, Jim. Hey, what's the brown thing on the floor? Oh, it's a box. Yes. Right. It's a coffee maker. Cool it's stuff. Coffee coffee maker. Cool stuff. So what was the other port on there that, that uh, Chad was trying to identify? Was it because he, he showed both sides of the cocoa? Or is it just the one keyboard? Oh, just two pictures of the same thing. Just to oh, close up okay. There's a, okay. No, there's a black. What's, the black what's that thing black thing? Yeah, that, that was Velcro, that I think. Velcro. Yeah. Oh, is that just yeah. Velcro? Yeah. Holding a multi-pack or something like oh, that. Oh, right? to hold the multi-pack to it because he doesn't have yeah, a Yeah, because I mean, if the multi-pack shook, especially that old gray yeah, beast or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Would you need to get that lock, that, that lock plate. To that put, Tim Linder did, yeah. Yeah, Tim Linder lock plate on there. So, um. uh, Jim, yeah, if you can if you can join in. We were talking about your post about the SRAM. Just wanted to get some details on what exactly it is. We have some speculation on it, but we're not he sure. Just, he just joined. Okay. Uh, does he know anything about the uh, RAM and the um, ex external pack for the... MC10, does he know if that's static RAM? I can probably look that up. I I, I literally just watched that part of the show, <clears throat> so I'm I'm behind, and I thought I should join before everything kind of went to the end. So I'll I'll have to down down the spiral as it were. Well, that's right. Congratulations on <laughs> um, winning the election, there, Mr. Brain. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah, congratulations. I, I would just like to say I personally did not vote for you, but I'm glad you won anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you're gonna you're gonna close the club, huh? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll try to make sure that it doesn't uh, devolve any further. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> How soon until it becomes become... Commodore focused? Yeah, the, uh, yeah that's Glenside the Glenside Club. Commodore Computer Club. That's right. That's Don't the, even uh, joke about that. That's, so that's, my, that's my secret hey, ulterior motive. So, hey Jim, I'll join if you help me fix my fifteen forty one. I I uh, I can do that either way, but uh, take that <laughs> offline, folks. That doesn't belong here. <laughs> Asparagus. <laughs> anyway, Jim, the question was: you had posted up about using, uh, I, and I'll kind of semi quote here: nineteen eighties TTL based solution using SRAM for two meg upgrade. Yeah. What yeah. exactly is different between <clears throat> that and the current two meg RAMs? Because don't those use static RAM as well? Well, they do. The primary uh, difference between the board is it's all through hole technology. So obviously anybody can build it as opposed to the the newer solutions are all surface mount. So they're a little hard for a hobbyist to put together. Um, <clears throat> the, the other one is um, both of the current products use a programmable logic device to provide the interface capability, like for the DAT board and the, or the MMU board or whatever you call it. And then also um, for the the RAM, you know, the DRAM um, uh, interface on the Coco 3 is uh, multiplexed. And uh, so you have to split out the address lines um, on the on, on both uh, contemporary uh, two meg expansions. That's done through um, another um, programmable logic device. So this is all this is all standard 80s TTL logic that does both the conversion from DRAM logic to, to SRAM and also the 
um, the the extra bits that are needed for the for the MMU to do two meg uh, functionality, the part that plugs into the the CPU um, that's part of the current two meg boards. <clears throat> okay. So anyway, a question from Tim Frank in the chat: Does it have a real time clock? Yeah, yeah, it's ah, cute. Ah. <clears throat> And the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> well, we now know DriveWire will do that for you. So that's right. Okay, and then the last story I have here, and thanks for showing up, Jim, to explain that because I wasn't quite sure exactly what you were. No, that's to fine. There, so uh, James Rye, who's actually planning on, on working on VCC's composite mode now. Nick and I have noticed. Uh, I can't remember what the game was. Nick and I were trying to figure out, but the composite colors on VCC are so completely different from MAME, which is. And, and, fairly close to the Coco 3's real composite. Now, obviously, it depends on TVs and monitors a little bit, but VCC's is way off, and actually, there's a screenshot here that Jim... I believe the, the phrase is, the worse your TV is, the better it looks. Not in this case, because the, the VCC <laughs> colors are... Some of them are completely wrong. They're, they're not even close. It's like, you know, it's supposed to be blue and it's red. You know, that yeah, type of I run, really, I run, really bloody good television, then. If I run the high-color program <laughs> and do my thing on it, on VCC... I have to completely change the program to get the colors to come out right. Right. If I just mm. run it normally, they're off. They, they look terrible. Yeah. No, it's no, VCC's RGB is actually accurate. It's just the composite that's way off. And MAME is pretty close. So he's actually uh, asking for some people to supply some decent composite-based pictures and what they're supposed to look like. Um, with with disk image versions of it too, so we can use it for testing. But he wants to actually modify VCC and OVCC to fix the composite artifacting, or not artifacting, the composite color set, so that it actually more closely matches. What about then, that you know, demo from the rainbow that showed you all sixty four colors at once? Yeah, you could. I think I think he wants to try to get it because VCC has the capability, as Mame does, of doing like we were talking about the two hundred fifty six color artifacting mm, composite yeah. mode earlier, is to get that right too, not just the pure colors. All right. So uh, you can't compare can't... you can't compare MAME to VCC in the inner workings. Well, I, mean, I think you probably could. Why, why does MAME work perfectly? Well, they did a much more extensive. I mean, even the regular artifacting is much closer than VCC. Now, OVCC I believe has fixed the artifact color, like the Pima Four stuff, so it's a lot closer because they were originally using like a pure black, pure white, and a red and a blue, which were the wrong red and blues to pick from. Right. It should have been more and, of an orangish um, and a bit more cyanish and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And Jim is the one who fixed that. He's the one who came fixed the blue and orange, yeah. too. So basically, he's trying to finish fixing VCC's color set for composite so that it'll be more accurate. So if you want to test a program running VCC for somebody, you know, you want to sell a game, for example, it's going to run on composite monitors and you want it to look as good as possible. You could not trust VCC to get your colors anywhere near close to what they're really going to show up as. You'd have to switch to MAME. And VCC is a bit more common because it's easier to set up. MAME is a bit of a bear's ass to get going you know the first time once it's up and running it's great but it's not the easiest thing to set up in the world so if anybody wants to send some sample composite pictures i can't remember if high color natively supports composite or if you have to use rgb it's you can correct me if i'm wrong rgb wrong. far as i know just RGB. RGB. okay so basically if anybody's got some decent uh, composite oh, pictures with a screen like a photograph of what it actually looks like on a real composite monitor mm -hmm. They can send it off to, to James, and he can incorporate that into fixing up the he, colors. He just responded. He says, turns out that the actual VCC uh, composite palette isn't that bad. It's just that some of the brightness added washes out the brighter colors. And he says it'll be more like MAME soon. Oh, cool. So, yeah. I, I just know, Nick, do you remember what it was? Because there was one game that it was it was really bad. I don't remember what it was off the top of my head, but... 
I, I basically abandoned well, using VCC um, for anything composite. Jim, I would I would also suggest you look up Brian Joyce's website from Extractus Productions um, because he's done some extensive stuff showing you the um, what the RGB values are, what they look like in composite and RGB, what they look like in MAME versus VCC. So Brian Joyce has done a lot of the um, detailed analysis of this already, and he's got visual charts on his website already. So I think I don't remember exactly how to spell it, but it's like Extructus, E X C T R U S U S, or something like that. But ExtructusProductions.com. I'll have to look it up. Brian Joyce, if you're out there, maybe chime in. But yeah, he's done a lot. Because whenever I go to do a palette hack, I just go to Brian's site. I just Google it. When I when I Google Coco Three palettes, his site's one of the ones that comes up, and I find it. Um, Actually, I remember now the project that we were working on. That was when I was doing the original composite hacks to Digger before you know Chet did the official ones. Ah. Nick and I were going through, and I was using Brian Joyce's site, and I used the the MAME colors, got them fairly close. And then when I ran it in VCC, it was just totally wrong. Like the artifacting just didn't work and the, the actual colors themselves were way off and it, it did look like crap and then uh, we switched over to MAME and then it looked okay and it does it still doesn't look great compared to like say RGB but you know it's mm. definitely uh, not could you could you guys fill me in on what the problem is in the manual for the cocoa on palettes and stuff something's wacky isn't it not that I'm aware of what are you the palette colors I mean they're they're listed out well, they're listed um, as numbers, but they don't really give—they don't give you names. Yeah, they give you them. blank lines. You fill in what you want to call. Yeah, the color other than yourself. the ones that are supposed to match the co the Coco's original eight or nine colors, they don't really. Yes. So, what would you have to do to 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 know, like you know, if you wanted to customize something, do you have to have that like that uh, printout that Rainbow did of all the colors so you can pick one? Yeah. Or I would go to I would bookmark Brian Joyce's website, which I yeah. can't okay. find right now, but I'll try to Google it right now and, and get the link because I've used that screenshot whenever we've palette hacked a game for Game On Challenge. That's what I've looked up was Brian's chart. Yeah, and that's what so, Nick and I did with Digger Three too. So. I wanted to change the palettes in the um, startup. Yeah, maybe. it's the Extractus blog right here. So I'm going to copy and color and paste that into the chat right now. Boom. Okay, so there it is. So as soon if if you just Google Coco Three Palette, the first thing that comes up is pretty much Brian's blog, and he's got some really cool. I'll I'll post it over here where you can see it. So he's got what it looks like in VCC emulator and in the MAME emulator. He's got the RGB true colors. He's got a lot of charts showing them, and then he's come up with his kind of names for them, like dark blue, dark green, dark cyan, dark red. So this has got all sixty four of the colors. Um, listed on his site. It's very scientific. You're getting the hex values. You're getting all kinds of stuff here. Um, and as you see here, a lot of like these two colors here, 60 and 61, these are two colors that I would never use for anything that I could ever conceive of in my life. So in this, you know what I mean? So a lot of these colors are, and this here just looks like this is something like, I don't know, this is like Gerber baby food or something. I don't know what half these colors are. <laughs> But when you look at the 64 available colors, most of them just suck. They're god-awful. So every time I look at a game like Digger 3 or, um, you know, Pitfall, Super Pitfall, any of these games and the Rampage, when they manage to find 16 good colors out of these 64, I'm like, man, thank God. Because most of these colors are eyesores, man. So. Did he name any of those colors like do not use? Yes. <laughs> I would say, <laughs> do not use I would say about 48 do out of the 64 <laughs> colors should not be used in, under any circumstance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, like, I've got the screen up here too showing the, the 
the three. Yeah, I'm so, not that, sure which so uh, I, although I haven't used it to do anything programming-wise, I've just used it to do some palette hacks for games. I've found this to be a great resource to find colors that are pleasing to me personally. Yeah, but there, there's some different differences. Like the top two here, <clears throat> the the left one is VCC and the right one is MAME, and yeah, MAME is definitely closer to the real. Yeah, and you can see the VCC is a little bit more brighter, a little bit more... Uh, start to wash out in the higher colors there and like you start to get to the bottom two lines are a lot brighter yeah well the, the the second from bottom line is one i think the one that nick and i were hitting problems with because if you look at the vcc one like the middle three are all the same yellow just about and then the other one there's like a greenish one yeah, and an orangish one yeah, like they're different true. different yeah. they're not they're not even close <laughs> jim says number 52 is called pepto-bismol so <laughs> <laughs> 56 yeah. <laughs> it coats it soothes it really write that one down on that blank line in the <laughs> manual bismol, right? so. <laughs> anyway yeah this is an invaluable resource i mean nick and i did this unfortunately i think if i remember correctly what happened is i was starting to patch the composite colors and i was going off the vcc color chart and then mm. when i went to run on the real coke i was like what the hell yeah right and then i went and changed it all had to change all the palettes you again must have been the, smoking you know. whatever chet was smoking when you came up with those colors huh so Oh, no, I'd be in a hospital if I had to do that. So. I'm a little too out of practice, man. Chet's not here, man. Chet's not here, man. I'm always here, man. Oh, there he is. He's here. Oh, man. His ears were, were burning, man. I'm always here. I hear all. I see all. I just don't care. You're haunting us, man. You're haunting us. All right. That was the last news story, so... The news is now over. All right. Well, oh, time to Curtis. wake up. Uh, so, <laughs> since we didn't have you on earlier, Chet, anything you want to share with us that you've been working on or anything else? Or no, I'd have to take my pants off again. Ah, okay. I haven't been working on much uh, much at all this week. I've, I've been busy with work. So, yeah, What's in your pipe, man? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I still got to take my pants off for that. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> Chet's oh, uh, Chet, actually, if you were listening earlier, we were talking about your, your disassembly of uh, audio spectrum. Do you know, is Steve uh, using the double speed ROM poke on that to get more accurate? No, I didn't see anything in there for that. Okay, because so. Nick, Nick Morandis was speculating that it might be a way to improve it. One, you can make it run on a Cocoa 3 better without all the yeah. semi-graphics text missing. <clears throat> but you can also enable the ROM to run a double speed. Even on the Cocoa 1 2, you should be able to get more accurate or even you know, higher frequency should work better on the analyzer. Yeah, you should be able to do that. I mean, the, the, the way that the that it samples the audio is, is pretty well, uh, looks like it's pretty well fixed. Um, but the drawing routines will certainly um, benefit from that. I mean, I did a conversion to the Coco 3 back in the day. Matter of fact, it was one of the first things that I, I did with my Coco 3 because it was such a small ROM. And I had both that and my my old uh, Coco One running side by side, and I was able to to you know get them pretty well you know tuned together. So I mean, it can be done pretty pretty easily. It's I mean, it, it's a very very small ROM. Um, it probably took maybe two or three days to get you know stuff up there. I mean, the, all, all of it's pretty well documented. I mean, if anybody wants you know the code, so, I'll more than happy to send it to them if you want to play around with it. Yeah, you have it working on uh, Coco Three. You have a version. No. No. no, I'm not, and I'm not. I'm not going to be doing anything with. It. I mean, it no. was just more of an exercise for me. I mean, it was something that I know that I've done before. It was small, um, and it was pretty well targeted. And I mean, and if somebody does want to do something with it, you know, great, that's cool. But it was just an exercise for me. Can you make it run backwards, man? Yeah, <laughs> I can. 
<laughs> we had a request for a Cheech and Chong sound alike, uh, Ron. So let's see if you All and right. who wants to let's see who can do a better job. You or Chat? So. Right. Right, uh, 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 mine's natural, so <laughs> that's, that's not fair, man. Uh, probably, probably right, man. Ron, why that's is your right. why is your camera green? Have you gone full cocoa? It is green. Ron's, Ron, Ron's, Ron's gone full here, cocoa. Man. He he he's, he's, Ron's, he Ron's, Ron's yeah. not here, man. He skipped plaid and went straight to cocoa. Cool. There he is. Oh. All right. So. How did I do that? Hey, I don't know how you did that. <laughs> No, but I, I I was happening to listen to you guys on my way out the door earlier when you were talking to uh, to Rick, um, particularly about the, uh, the sound code that uh, that he used from uh, from Dale Lear because some of the stuff that Dale Lear did back in the day is actually part of one of the projects that I'm doing right now. Um, so I actually have on my screen right now some of the the, the, the code that's disassembled from Color Baseball uh, for that. If anybody's interested in seeing that as well. Um, because that's one of the ROMs that I'm, I'm currently disassembling is, is, uh, yes, the bring it on. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty simple one. This is very similar to what you'll see in some of, particularly some of the earlier, uh, rainbow magazines. It's got the, uh, I've got the, uh, uh, note information, um, documented as well. It's actually a pretty simple thing. Except I think the only difference is that, that, um, I think Rick mentioned that it uses like a 16 bit timer. This one uses an eight. Uh, eight, eight bit counter um, for some of it, along with an additional 16 bit for the uh, for the overall uh, playback. Um, and what's interesting about uh, some of the sound routines, particularly like this and the older ones, a lot of them didn't use uh, the interrupt. So a lot of them are, are being updated, particularly like uh, buzzer bait. They get updated while the game is playing and while the game is, is rendering and stuff. So it's it's you'll see calls to the rendering within the code. Um, at different places, but yeah, this is just one of the, the things that I'm playing. So if anybody does want to like, you know, look at some of the code from that, maybe compare it against to some of the stuff that's that's you know out there on um, on uh, Temple of Rom and, and even some of the other games that this may have been used in by Dale, um, then yeah, I'll, I'll be more than happy to share it with you. I'll probably be posting it on uh, in Discord next day or so. Anyway, any so chance you... of any chance of making up some GitHub repositories to put this stuff up? Yes, actually, I've been thinking about this. I'm, uh, I'm going to be putting Digger up there, um, okay. but I've also got disassemblies that I've started that are pretty de detailed for buzzer bait, audio inspector analyzer, and then color baseball. That, um, that would be good. Yeah, so those are the three that I mean, th those are the ones that I'm you know pretty much working on as far as like disassemblies. Audio inspector analyzer is pretty much done. Um, so I mean, that was a really easy one. So yeah, th th I can throw those up on GitHub along with the rest of my stuff. So can you actually see the area where the crowd? crowd makes the crowd noise um i haven't quite narrowed that down yet um but there are three areas of code where um where it looks like that it's using it because it does use rom calls for like uh reading the keyboard as well as the joystick so all the other stuff that's hitting the pia and all that is either uh for setting the graphics mode there's only one function for that it doesn't do page flipping or anything else it does it does use a back buffer it doesn't use page flipping um, along with, uh, but there's you know a couple of places in there that are playing sound or do look like they're playing sound. Some is from you know the, the routine that I've got up here now. The others uh, from uh, the crowd playing. I think there's two or three other sound effects, but they may not be used. Yeah, that applause effect was really good. It was very like natural sounding. Yeah, it was. I was really really surprised. And it's not. I mean, there's no like wave table or anything. There, there's no. Um, instrument table like you see with uh, with like Musica where it's pulling you know each channel out of a buffer. This is I think this right here is a, a sawtooth um, player. Is it, is it like a random generated noise of some kind? 
for like the crowd, random... I think it is. I think they are using. Some, I think Dale did have some type of uh, of noise stuff in there for that, but it's it looks pretty uh, deterministic. Hmm. What does that mean, man? That is. What... It means that it's the same every time. <laughs> <laughs> it, it means it's the same. It, it'll be the same every single time. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Belong in a museum, man. Lost me on that one, man. Look at it being a museum now, man. Where my <laughs> brain went. Bye bye, man. We'll, we'll get you an English to English dictionary, man. That's okay. We got it. <laughs> right. I mean, we came from at the Canadian border, but yeah, we can get you one. <laughs> I was born in This Alaska, is the dictionary, man. eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, see, eh? You got to know. I mean, the, I mean, if you add A in there at the wrong time, they're going to kick your ass. <laughs> all right absolutely I, true anyway well we've done a three-hour show and i think we've done a lot i don't think we need to do much more all right so how about we Thank play we... the outro and then we'll come back for final thoughts does that sound good everybody no updates or acquisitions that was my one question oh that's right did, yeah. we, did we skip over that yeah. That's, that's why the show seems like it's going so smoothly right now. So, okay. Uh, three hour show. <laughs> yeah, we got we got to bugger the show up somehow. Come on. Yeah, okay. <laughs> this show smoothly? What what? Yes, yes, yes. Well, yes, we no. we you know, we still we still have someone stuck inside a CRT too. Don't forget yeah. that. Yeah, know? we have we have yeah. not raised how, how, enough money to get uh, David O'Connor out of Yeah, the David group. O'Connor. How how are you doing in there? Um, I'm still where's the, where's the, the, <laughs> I can't quite get out, but I'm, I'm, I'm still stuck. I'm doing all right, though. I can hear you guys all right, and I can see you all right. Matrix is not that bad, actually, man. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Isn't it? Breathing Australian okay. Quarantine's quite different, isn't it? <laughs> Free Britney. All right. So, who had an update or acquisition they wanted to go over with? Anyone? Anyone? I have one small one, but I'll, I'll let somebody else go first if they had something. I just wanted to make sure we didn't miss anybody if, if somebody had something to show. Well, so far it sounds like you're it, Curtis. So why don't you go ahead? Okay, I'll have to share my screen again. Go ahead. I don't think I'm sharing right now. This is something I've been working on for a while. Um, we mentioned Freud, Floyd Wrestler did, uh, I think, four different Base Nine games wow, for the Coco Three. Wow, that's like really fast. So this is a Base Nine game he wrote back in like 1990. Um, Magic Stones on the current Ease of Use Beta is one of his two. Now, the other three games he did were arcade style, which is what this one is. But I've been having to decompile the, the run B code because uh, the original source code has been long lost. Now, the plan is here, I know Floyd has mentioned that since we've sped up the graphics subsystem, that he wants to you know go back and revisit these games and kind of like smooth them out and make the graphics a bit smoother and stuff like that too. So he's been really busy. Unfortunately, his job has been like Chet's has been where it's been, you know, COVID has made things more busy than normal. So he hasn't had any time to do it himself. So actually, I decided I wanted to get at least one of his other games on the next Ease of Use beta. So I started working on Gem Quest. It's not quite done yet, but it should be done this week. So this is uh, one of the games, and I'll just thought to throw you a quick little demo of it. I can... So it's kind of a puzzle platformer. You have to be able to you know go and get keys and open doors and beat up people and stuff like that. And... And when you run on the ladders and stuff, there's a part of the gameplay is you have to complete running up and down a ladder. You can't, like if you have a ladder that goes between multiple platforms, you can only go to the top or the bottom. So you have to figure out what direction you got to go to, mm. you know, to get to certain spots in here. But it's a, it's a fairly large game. There's uh, eight chambers, eight gem pieces you have to get to win the game. 
and uh, each each level is nine screens, a three by three grid. So with oh. eight times nine, there's 72 screens you get to go through. And there's later stuff you get like fire pits and you get fire pits with the dissolving rocks and you get stone heads and there's people you can buy stuff from. And so it's a, pr a pretty say, extensive game. Did you say That's this cool. was in basic 09? Yep, this is solidly basic. And this is a 6809 wow. version. The 6809 version runs faster. No, I do oh, have to impressive. tweak the speed settings here because it's a little bit quick for running and stuff. Like you, you have to precisely time like not falling into fire pits and stuff. Hmm. Or if you fall off the edge of a, a platform, you start losing health as you fall. So I still some, have to do some tweaks. Uh, some downland type elements where sometimes you have to leave one screen to come back to get to another one. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's really yeah, unfortunately, I won't be able to hear the sound too much because my VCC keeps playing it through the wrong speaker. But What is he throwing out there? Like a... It's kind of a mace thing, and as oh, okay. you, you get power-ups for your mace, I'll, I'll actually show you that here because I'm right by the store guy here, so I won't be able to afford the good ones. But Oh, wow, there's a store where you can buy stuff. That is cool. <laughs> yeah. So in this case, I only have enough for a healing potion, which gives me an extra 10 health, but if you get the, uh, the more powerful maces, for example, it actually increases how far you get to throw your mace when you're doing it. So it's two times oh, so as long, range, three times as long, four times as the long. The range of how far it'll yeah. extend. So then you can like shoot across, if you have a couple pits, you can shoot across like multiple ones and kill a monster like three things away and they can't jump. In fact, they're kind of dumb. Sometimes they'll walk off a cliff and kill themselves in the fire themselves. So that's always fun. That's neat. <laughs> and I'm just killing my health doing that, but well. That's pretty damn good. And he's got some animation stuff here, which I'll show you when I kill that blue pod thing up there at the top. I'm just going to get over there first. So in this case, I have to run to the bottom of the ladder. You can't go in the middle of the ladder, so I have to go over here. Grab my keys Save there. keys to open doors. And now it, it can disappear or inflate or deflate, so i got to wait for it to come back here. But when you kill one of the pods, you actually get a spinning coin, which will hopefully will be fairly soon here. And you can have a maximum of 10 monsters on the screen at once. They just auto-regenerate. Oh, come on, you stupid thing. This is really neat looking. Hmm. Boom. Oh, look at that. The spinning coin. Yeah, that's cool. Hmm. Yeah. So it's a fairly extensive game. I mean, my test playing stuff here, it's got a high score table too. The top 10 people get type your names in for scores. It has a nice animation effect when you die oh, in the fire. Oh, look at that. You, yeah, kind of smolder huh. there. That's cool. Yeah, this is a really good example of, uh, of a, you know, arcade slash platform type game that can be done in Basic 09. Mm. And puzzle solving, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the timing here, the one guy, because it, it randomly picks which monster to move, so when you have a monster disappear under another monster, it stays hovering until that one gets randomly picked. So there's probably a few tweaks to the gameplay probably should be doing at some point, too. But that's Yeah, that's cool. neat. Hmm. Uh kill myself here I'll, I'll do it a couple times just so i can end the game here to show you the end screen and you get armor build-ups too where you uh yeah get, we're, get hit we're, as hard. we're seeing some people making comparisons to this like uh erico says this is kind of like an arcade game called black tiger or rygar or castlevania scott saying yep. scott cooper so yeah some yeah there's your high scoreboard yeah that's that's this is really impressive for being a basic yeah. online game yeah, and it runs a fair bit faster in the 639 version, too. So I definitely have to do some tweaks 
Thank you. Yes, uh, I've already done some slowdowns actually because you. it was running too fast. So this has actually got a few sleep calls thrown in, and I'm still adjusting them. Once I get to the uh, the beta of the beta, which will be in early December, late November, I'll start sending out to the people that are on the test, uh, the ones that normally get EUU tested, about a dozen of them, and I'll get them to try playing the game and see if I should tweak the speeds a little bit more. But I, I tell you, it's left enough room now because I'm putting in sleep calls to slow down things for animations and stuff that uh, when Floyd does get a chance to start working on it again, I'm hoping he can vastly improve the game. Plus, no, you know, 128K is no longer an issue. You know, you requires 512K. So if he wants to fancy up the graphics and add a bunch of new, you know, in-between cell animations or add in new features that, you know, we just didn't have time to do in the original version, he can do that too. So, but yeah, this this one will have the source code for this on Ease of Use Beta 6. So if anyone wants to see how he did these things, and uh, you know he needs a bit of an inspiration or a bit of you know you know how to code type thing for doing a game under base. It's a pretty good. Example this is basically just using all get and put, I would imagine, right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah. there's uh, complex data types and you know parameters he's sending back and forth to your teams to check to see if you run into something, have you hit something with your mace and stuff. So hmm. that is neat. Just hit clear oh. there, Curtis. <laughs> I didn't have to. I just exited here. Uh, okay. And, and then we, that was just a little update. So that's one of the things you guys can look forward to on, on Beta 6. Far out, man. That is, that is far out, man. Uh, anyone else have a project update and acquisition? Brian, the music man, Shubring, is waving his hand. Yes. Priority mail, Coco VGA. Oh, uh, cool, cool. Don't, oh, don't lower it so we don't see your address. This is on the internet. Yeah, that's the all it's right. the address of the complaints department right yes. there. So, uh... <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's I already got it installed and everything, and it works out great. So, yep, yep. And I got a uh, an adapter to go to um, HDMI from VGA, and I just run through um, my uh, SCART adapter, and boom, boom. I I got both uh, signals going into my uh, monitor then, and I can stream either one then. Yep. Yeah, that's kind of what yeah, I was doing with mine, cool. too. That's very cool. Yeah. Probably yeah. one of the best products for the Coco 1 and 2 would have to be, other than the Coco SDC, obviously, which everyone should have. And and, which and, and, both? and one of every Coco cable. VGA right beside me. One of every cable made by Jason Reichert as well. <laughs> um, yep. then, Only one? Yeah, well, at least. Minimum. <laughs> right. And then the Coco VGA is on that short list of must-have things to, yep. to have. So. Uh, cool. Anybody else had an update? Acquisition? Story to tell? Feelings to share? Grievances to air? Anything. Is Jim Brain still on? Uh, did he want to say if, if he's got any directions for the club he was thinking of going in? Uh, does Has uh, he actually officially taken over yet? Uh, or is I, that a few weeks? I am I'm still here, so let me answer your questions in order. Okay. So I'm still here, and um, I have yet to have a conversation with the outgoing president, Eric, on kind of what was, you know, what's kind of in the hopper. Obviously, um, I think everybody's um, thought process right now is around Coco Fest um, 2021. Um, you know, it's, it is in April. And so that's, <clears throat> you know, that's uh, four months into the year, but um, there's still a concern about, you know, whether the pandemic will reach up and, and, enter into that time frame as well. Um, but assuming that it does not and the and the um, fest can still happen um, in, you know, physically, as opposed to, you know, maybe doing some sort of virtual work as well. I know that was well received this year, the kind of unofficial stuff. Um, we do need to get, 
you know, very much into planning. I asked in the meeting on Thursday that um, Tony and I think uh, Terry's helping out um, to try and get our plan of attack put together by next meeting before the December kind of time comes along because nothing tends to get done during this December, the month of December for stuff like this. Everybody's, you know, busy with the season um, because April's going to be here before we know it. So yeah, we need to make sure we've got, you know, it is, I'm, my understanding is we're going to continue the theme from, from last year. So it'll be the kind of the 40th anniversary um, kind of, you know, track take two. Um, so it would be nice to have some um, luminaries from the, um, from the community um, to come in and either reminisce or talk about historical perspectives or whatever. Um, and right now, I don't think we have a lot of folks lined up to, to do that kind of presentation. So I'm eager that we, we line those folks up here in the next, you know, two months or so, um, so folks can understand what the April, uh, the April event is going to have in store for them. Because I think, I think it's going to have to be, um, you know, even if even if there's the the vaccine and everything, there's going to be people are going to be a little bit shy about venturing out. I think, and so we'll want to make sure that the fest has lots of opportunities for people to say yes to come. Yes, agreed. Yeah. So, yeah, and I think that was one of the things we were being a little bit critical of when we were trying to have it this year was there really wasn't an emphasis on a keynote speaker. And right. on the one hand, do you need a speaker? You don't need one, but it's been something that's always happened. And because this year was supposed to be the 40th anniversary, mm-hmm. it just would have been nice if we had had someone of a little bit of, um, you know, a little bit of a heavy hitter. Um, big, big, big draw to get. Uh, I mean, honestly, for me, with the lack of a quote unquote celebrity or big star or whatever for the keynote, would that make, would that influence my decision to come or not come for me? It wouldn't matter because I'm coming for the camaraderie and to see the projects and everything else. However, as an organization, I feel that more emphasis and and prioritization on that should have happened. And mm-hmm. hopefully some of that will happen because it yep. is it's, it's there's only one time you can have your 40th anniversary. It should be a, it should it should have been stressed to be a little bit more of a bigger event if COVID hadn't happened. And I don't think that it would have been. So yep. hopefully it will be. Yep. So that, and, and I think the other one is I, I you know, I'm obviously not a complete expert on the shows, but I do know that um, I do know that there's a number of categories of folks who come to the show. Like you said, some people come <clears> primarily because it's a chance to meet uh, friends and commiserate in a physical fashion at least once a year and catch up with folks. Um, some people do come for the presentations. Some people come to see what kind of impressive uh, new developments are in the environment and they wanna kind of touch them and, and feel them and talk to the folks who put them together. So it, different people have different reasons for coming. So the idea is to make sure that, um, you know, knock on wood and uh, and that the uh, physical event can indeed happen in 2021 that we've got all those bases covered so everybody sure. has an opportunity to say oh yeah i really i mean i would think that people are going to say man i missed the 2021 i really want to get out or you know i really want to kind of do things from a physical standpoint so i think people will be predisposed to come but i just want to make sure there's very little in their mind that says, no, nah, I don't think I'm going to come. Yeah, we don't, we don't, we kind of don't <laughs> want to give them a reason to not come. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, and another reason I think some people come too is that there's really good bargains. Like people who bring their used the equipment or, you know, cart- yeah, cartridges and stuff like that, that you'll get way cheaper at the fest than you'll ever get on eBay. That's true. Now, I will say that um, 
you know, as somebody who exhibits and is a um, uh, is a manufacturer or sells product, um, it's hard for me to break away and go to some of the presentations. Yeah. So I I do think you know obviously I can't speak for the entire club, but I'm hopeful that this upcoming year there's a way to to put some of that virtual capability into the um, into the show as well. I know there's been talk about having something kind of a prep thing the week before, um, kind of wet people's appetite for what's going to be at the show, or you know broadcasting the the presentations, um, uh, you know via Zoom or something like yeah, that. Yeah, maybe so just that even can... just live stream it to a big screen in right. the exhibit area so you can see it. That's right. So yeah. I, I, I do think there's the, I'm hopeful that there's a way to incorporate that virtual piece, because I think there were a lot of people who said, well, that's another facet of the show. Yeah. And I actually like that. Um, I'm not saying it takes the place of the, the physical show, but it, it would be sure would be nice to be able to incorporate some some part of that into the, the 2021. Activity. Right. Because it's always the Sophie's choice. Do I see this? Do I listen to the speaker or do I miss out on the hanging out with the guys? You know? That's right. And so right. It, it, it might be cool, too, if you could just kind of plan it to where, OK, listen, we're going to shut down the exhibit area for right now. Mm-hmm. So everybody leave. We're closing the doors. <laughs> we're locking the doors. We're all going to go either you listen to them or you go have lunch. But that way there's there's no chance for that tug of war conflict. Do I do this or do I do that? This is what we're yeah, all you, doing. <laughs> even Rainbow Fest did that because, I mean, the, the breakfast used to be with a special guest speaker would be before the show floor opened. So you got to meet everybody at the breakfast so and you that, have that public come order that might yeah, be cool that, for the keynote yeah yeah that might be that might be something that is i mean again these are just ideas at this point sure. so I, don't want to, you sure. know, I don't i don't want an influx of hate mail can we yeah, turn yeah, this into let's, over. let's 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 turn this into an impromptu glenside meeting come on let's that's do it right, let's do right. it <laughs> um, damn I, it you guys trapped me i finally got into one of these again damn <laughs> yeah, um, those those breakfasts were were freaking awesome i mean when i went yeah. to the 185 that was my first one and we went to the breakfast and it was just an absolute wonderful thing to go to yep now one of the things Especially the I, laser tag year anyway go ahead. yeah I, I will say one of the things that i'm i'm very I, I am very eager for us to have this you know i'm obviously was eager for the 2021 to happen but very eager for us to get into this um community physical space because we have a contract signed and are able to move into the um, Elk Grove Village uh, location, um, which is significantly larger and I think will be um, very much appreciated by the folks who come to the show. It's um, the, the hotel is attached to the convention floor, so there's no need to shuttle your stuff between two different locations like it was at Heron Point. Um, the venue itself is much larger and it, there's a there's a huge area after hours like if you if you know if you if there's we, an actual lounge right outside there. yeah there is and yeah. so even though i do believe that the the shore the show floor needs to close you know somewhere around 11 or midnight or whatnot you know there are people that want to chat up until three or oh, four yeah. in the morning and there's a nice lounge area with some you know canned foods or whatnot and there is an on-premise um restaurant so for those people mm. who are like you know, EGAD, I just don't have time to go. I mean, it wasn't that big a deal to go over to uh, to uh, McDonald's or, you know, do the Frogger thing across over to Quit Quiznos from Heron Point. Um, <clears throat> the restaurant is right there on location, and I've, I've been there. I mean, it's, yeah. it's good food. So <clears throat> in any event, those are a lot of – I mean, there's a lot of advantages. Yeah, that was kind of like – VC, yeah, hmm? VCF Midwest had a similar benefit. Like you could get your breakfast on your way into the event right that's there. That's right. You know what that's I mean? Right. So, yeah. And the old, the old Cocoa Fest and Rainbow Fest did the same thing. Like we all ate at the restaurant, and we'd meet right. each other at tables and intermingle, and you'd yep. have supper there. You'd have breakfast there the whole bit. 
So we're all still together. That's what I'm hoping. You know, obviously I wasn't Mm. involved in the early UranoFest, so you guys have more knowledge of the previous, but I can tell you that's what happened. And had VCF Midwest not, you know, they just had so much growth that they, again, had to move to another venue. But this is a nice venue. Um, Heron Point is nice, and I don't want to. I don't want to cast dispersions on it. It was a, it was a cool venue itself, but the show's really outgrown that venue. This one's a nice one to expand into, and it's got these other advantages. So I'm hopeful. I, I'm I'm eager for people to come and and see what I already know about the venue. Those people who haven't had a chance to um, enjoy it. There you go. Very well articulated. You are doing your presidential duties quite well already, sir. <laughs> uh, cool. Uh, anyone else? Updates, acquisitions? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller. All right. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to play the outro and then we'll be back for final, final thoughts after this. Thank you, everybody, for being here. And for those who have been watching this whole time, we're sorry. All right. We'll be back. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to CocoTalk at CocoTalk.live. CocoTalk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because CocoTalk is rocking the 8-bit world. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click the Patreon link at our website at cocotalk.live. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tiny flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Coco Talk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Grant Leedy, Bruce Moore, Nick Marenkis, Rondell Vaux, Rick Adams, Jason Riker, Richard Lorbieski, Jim Brain, Tom C., Rob Inman, Mark Bosley, Brian Joyce, Ken Riker, David O'Connor, Brian Weasler, Terry Stegney, Nick Morota, John Strong, and many more, especially to Steve Bjork for production suggestions and James Diffendaffer for making my head explode. Please help support the Coco community by visiting some of its various contributors. A list of resources is available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. another one in the can and some of us the show needs to be in the can um great Uh, show thanks for being here everyone david o'connor we we listen we've been trying to raise money to bust you out of that crt i think you're after dude you're stuck in there um yeah well listen warming here anyway that's one thing timmy did not get his wheelchair and david's not getting out of that tube so that's it man (laughs) mark d overholzer congratulations on being married 
And um, thank you. Despite your poor choice in computers, you've got great choice in wives. So <laughs> that's one thing for you there. Al I'll Curtis Boyle, thank you for your news and everything else that you do. And Paul T. Barton, always a pleasure to have you here, sir. Yahoo. Rick Euland always raises the beauty curve here on the show. So we're grateful for that. Thank you for being here. Brian Schubring, thank you for being here, sir. Chet Simpson raises the IQ of the show. And Mark Bosley brings the chill factor to the show. Ron Delvaux with all the hard-hitting questions like how long can a serial cable be? Uh, who's on first? All that, <laughs> that kind of good like stuff. That sounds like a new segment. That's right. And <laughs> Nick Morota for his Game On segments, for his just joy and enthusiasm and the beauty and the joy <laughs> he brings to the world. Thank you for that, Nick Morota. For all things Australian named and toggle switched endowed, Jason Riker, thank you for that. And oh, yes. Michael Furman for all that you do and even some of the things that you don't. Uh, drive wire uh, and drive lots wire. of interruptions. Drive wire, drive wire, drive <laughs> lots wire. Lots of interruptions. 232 uh, TTL. TTL, TTL. <laughs> Jim, Jim Brain, our new leader, our commander in chief, the president of Glenside is here. Of soon to be Glenside Commodore Computer Club. Our... <laughs> Commodore Infiltrator, I'm going to call it. Hey, Tong! <laughs> uh, maker of actual legitimate fine quality Australian products, Nick Morentes has been with us. Thank you for being here, Nick. Crikey. Crikey. <laughs> and, and I like to call mine Australian Inspired. And Australian Inspired products. Kind of like the Outback Steakhouse. It's almost like Australian, just not quite as good. Uh, and then last but not least, of course, there's Alan Murphy, who's had so much to say today that we've had to mute him the entire time. Thanks for everything you've done today, Alan. Been a great con contribution to the show. Uh, and then there's been me. I want to say thank you from the cockles of my heart, just so I can get the word cockle out there. Uh, all right, we're going to press the button, Don't, don't forget Rick Adams and, and Terry Steggy for Terry Steggy for his Darth Vader cocoa and Rick Adams for his archaeological finds is just uh you know there's been a lot there's been so much i've already forgotten it all all right say goodbye everybody goodbye oh, everybody. 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 Oh, possibly see you tonight on trash talk, oh, the button, trash talk. Right. yeah <laughs>